Good morning. Welcome to Wake Up Carolina. Friday morning, March 31st, or is it March 31? 843-661-0937. It's both at the 31st, it's the 31st, and it's um, March 31, yep. right? Yep. Um, remember, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you about my daughter. My daughter was born in March. My unexpected daughter that I wanted to name surprise, and we'd ask her when her birthday was, and she said March in twelve. Yeah. So, I, so I guess today is March in thirty one. Yeah. Um, I like it. I dedicate March in thirty one to my to my daughter. Rev likes this story. I think I may have told it before. So, so when my daughter's in like the second grade, she gets in the car. Um, those that have listened know I got this. Um, it's it's not a weird family, but it's a um, it's a different family. I got two boys, seventeen months apart, thirty two and thirty one. I've got a daughter who just turned 20. So when I ran for lieutenant governor, I had two in college, one of the second grade, all with the same woman. Um, quite the surprise, to be honest. But anyway. <laughs> and you always had to point that part out to your audience, well, all with the same when woman. When I told the story to begin with, um, nobody bothered was bothered by it except the fundamentalist and the Baptist. You know, they wanted to make sure you didn't have a divorce in your history. That, that would have been a, um, uh, that's a demerit. Okay, we like this guy's policies. We like his uh, we kind of like his personality. We think he's full of it, but most of those guys are. Um, but but has he been married twice? There's a there's a downgrade that goes along um, with that. Forget the, half the country's been married and divorced. Um, but but anyway, so my daughter's in the back seat of the car. Here's kind of two interesting um, two interesting points. So she's in the back of the car, and my wife and daughter would pray going to school every day. So my wife is praying for you know her brothers and peace in the world and uh, let's find a good president and safety and security for our soldiers. The things you would expect a mom to be, uh, you know, trying to convince her daughters, these are the important things in life. And and my wife tells the story, said she looked in the mirror and my daughter's name is Libby, said Libby kind of cracked her eyes and said, pray more about me. <laughs> I love it. That's when you know you got trouble coming. Pray more. Pray more about me. And then another time, my daughter gets in the back of the car, sits down, and I rev likes this story. I do. And my wife said, "Hey, did you have a good day? I did have a good day. Uh, so what happened? Miss um, Johnson said Libby needs to pay attention to herself." <laughs> And she thought that was in the most that complimentary. Was compliment. Yeah, Libby needs to worry about herself. <laughs> and I can see my daughter saying, hey, such and such is doing such and such. Libby, you need, to, well, you need to worry about Libby. You need to pay attention. And she thought that was the biggest compliment in the world. Um, that Miss Johnson said, Libby, she said, I need to pay attention to myself. I love it. <laughs> uh, the innocence of a child. Hey, I imagined that we, be, we would begin the show as we normally do, somewhat lighthearted. Um, yesterday was the opening day of Major League Baseball. Um, next weekend is Easter weekend. So a week from today is good Friday. Uh, the holiest of holy days. If you're someone, uh, of the Christian faith, um, good Friday leads up to Easter Sunday, obviously one of the most consequential periods of time in human history. If you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, but I was thinking about the masters and Easter on the same weekend. Is that good or not? I don't know. I mean, you know, the masters is there every a uh, year in that April or that weekend of April, Easter moves according to the um to the moon and uh, some other things that go along with a uh, late Easter, early Easter, and that sort of thing. But but uh, you know, I was thinking about baseball. The start of Major League Baseball is normally a sign that spring is just around the corner. The Masters, if you're from down south, I mean that's another seasonal effect of um leaving one time, heading into another. Easter obviously is a big part of that. Um, 
last night or yesterday afternoon, the Braves won their first game of a 162-game um, season. You know what, Rev? Hmm? You can't win them all if you don't win the first one. True. True. So the first one is under the belt. Um, mine and your Gamecocks are 7-0 and in the SEC. Wow. I want to say this. I mean, and, and you know this. I mean, you followed baseball for a long time. The best baseball team in the ma- in the major leagues will lose 50 or 60 games. I mean, you know, you win 110 games, that's unfathomable. I mean, if you have a season True. winning 100 baseball games, that's a really good year. If you win 100, it means you lost 62. I mean, baseball is just a finicky, temperamental game. It's hard to win that many. And South Carolina right now is 25-2. and two. I mean, that's stupid. I mean, it really can truly, in a game like baseball, now I told Rev this morning, the baseball gods will turn. I mean, I can assure you of that. Every time they need a two-out hit, they're getting a two-out hit. Um, it's a little bit like the Tanner years, bottom of the ninth, you're down one, you feel like you got them right where you want them. I mean, there's a little bit of that mindset with this team. This team does one thing, and that hit, they hit a lot of home runs. And if you hit a lot of home runs, um, what did Earl Weaver say? The three-run homer make, made me a much better manager. Well, it makes anybody a better manager. And they just, um, I mean, they got it going right now. I mean, they, they really and truly, I think Clemson's in somewhat uh, of, an, of a rebuilding stage. I saw a tweet yesterday from Jason Priester, who joins us during the football season about Clemson. And he said that, um, I mean, somebody was kind of yanking their chain about, you know, having some issues. And he said, hey, man, everybody knew this it was going to be somewhat of a rebuilding season. And you got a new coach. Remember, they replaced their head coach, uh, who is now at South Carolina. And um and doing well, but uh but I'm sure Clemson one of the um one of the better baseball programs in all of America uh they won't have struggles long. They are playing Wake Forest this weekend, I think, and Wake is number two or three or four in all of it. I imagine we would sit down this morning with a lighthearted Friday and talk about you know sports and and life in general, and then we get into the uh, the grind of politics, um the cathedral. You know, that we touched on yesterday, the podcast that we did, recorded yesterday, um, fair warning, it gets in the weeds about the cathedral and Curtis Yarvin and Peter Thiel and J.D. Vance and Blake Masters and Elon Musk and uh, the dissident right, the new right, the alt-right, uh, not conservative, traditional conservatism, the way you and I have historically interpreted um, that. But, but obviously the news of the hour, the news of the day, the news of the moment is the indictment of Donald Trump. We felt it was impending. There will be an eventual arrest. Will there be handcuffs and mug shots? I would about if I'm Trump, I demand handcuffs. I mean, really? I demand them. You hell yeah, yes. I want handcuffs. I want mug shots. I want to be treated just like I want to be perp walked. I want to be treated just like the the guy down the street that busted out the window and stole the radio out of the dash. Because you're calling me a criminal, and if you're calling me a criminal, then treat me like a criminal. I mean, this is not a ceremonial arrest. So somebody texted me. I woke up to a text from a Democrat House member, good friend of mine, uh, a good God-fearing man, but shares a different opinion about government than I do. He said, it's truly a sad day. And I responded, no, it's not sad. It's scary. I mean, I'm not sad. I mean, I'm not, there's not a sad bone in my body, period. I am afraid and angry. I am afraid of where the country has decided to head. We've got a, uh, an elected DA who ran on going after a former president. I mean, imagine that. I mean, it, that, that was not rejected by the voters of New York. A Soros-funded, racist district attorney ran on the premise of, you may be afraid to go get him, but I'm not. And the voters of New York decided, that's okay. 
I mean, forget the Constitution, forget the rule of order, forget the, the um, you know, how America is operated and not weaponizing its judicial system for, you know, 200 and some odd years. And here we are. I mean, we've crossed the Rubicon. The Democrats have decided that everything is fair game. Well, if the Democrats have decided that everything is fair game, then the Republicans must answer that call. I mean, that's, that, that is a gut punch, guys. I mean, what happened yesterday from the establishment, the insiders, the cathedral, the Democrats, the liberals, oh, choose your flavor. But that is, that is a shot across the Rubicon, and all I could think about was Jerry Nadler. I mean, I don't know if you remember what Nadler said, maybe a couple of years ago when he said, we can't trust the people of America to not vote for him again. But that's not a Freudian slip. He meant every word of that. We can't trust the American people to not vote for him again. Uh, and, and you really have to dig in and try to understand what is the concern? What is the sentiment? What, what is the animus towards, towards Donald Trump? I mean, is it vulgarity? Is it irreverence? Is it a, I mean, is it just him being, you know, uh, not dignified enough to serve in office? I mean, I, I honestly understand some of those complaints. I really and truly do. I mean, I've got some conservative friends that, man, we need more reverence in the White House. We need more dignity in the White House. Okay, fair enough. I mean, he's not the most dignified, reverent man in the world. But he's our only hope, guys, to turn the tide. We're not going to do this politely and gently. I'm sorry, we're not. I wish I could tell you, hey, sit down with Thomas Jefferson and write something similar to the Declaration of Independence that will stand the test of time. No, this is a street fight. This is a brawl. This is for control of the American government. It belongs to we the people, but it doesn't. That there's a, there's a cabal of folks who have decided that they'll do anything in their power or not. Because we can argue about constitutionality of this. We can argue about um, statute of limitations. But there are going to be a lot of issues with this trial. They're basically arguing. I mean, we've not seen uh, the indicting documents, right? I mean, I've not seen that. Nobody's seen it. It's been, um, I mean, I think it'll be revealed Tuesday when the arraignment takes place. But um, but because the exact charges are unknown and, and indictments are uh, typically kept sealed until after the grand jury's vote, the grand jury has voted, the indictment has not been unsealed. It will probably be unsealed from what I'm gathering and, and reading on Tuesday. But, but they're, they're, they're focusing on a, a misdemeanor. That has, I mean, the, the statute of limits, limitations run out, run out on the misdemeanor. Uh, a non-disclosure agreement paying a, uh, a female. I'm not going to call her a porn star, adult female. Forget it. It's a female. She's a woman, and, and there's suspicion that Trump may have paid her to keep her mouth shut. I mean, in the real world, we've had a debate about hush money and non-disclosure. So, so Trump executed, or Trump's fixer, executed a non-disclosure to buy a woman's silence. I mean, imagine that. That's never happened in American history. There's never been a powerful man to pay a woman to keep her mouth shut and sign a formal binding agreement on not, you know, hey, if you do this, I mean, you're going to be held liable. I mean, there's some punishment that goes along with you revealing our sexual escapade, so to speak. But but from what I'm gathering, the, the, the racist attorney general, excuse me, the racist district attorney is trying to focus on this, this, this leap of falsifying business records as a felony. And you get into statute of limitations, you get into COVID and the year we didn't hear cases, we didn't, the courts didn't function as normal. So there's kind of a carryover year there. But I mean, this, you know, Trey Gowdy has been uh, as blunt on this particular issue. I mean, Gowdy doesn't care much for Trump. You can hear that. I mean, I honestly believe that. 
And I don't think Fox care. I think Trey's carrying Fox's water and doing what Fox has insisted. Hey, let's um, let's try to move on past Trump. We need you to help us there. Now, now Trey has the mindset of a prosecutor. So he's going to look at things as a career prosecutor. Um, and, and, and Trey says, this is a flimsy case. I mean, th- this is a, I mean, this is an outrageous reach. And it's the president, the former president, current front runner of one of the, um, of one of the ma- major political parties. So, so we've got a Soros funded racist district attorney doing the first thing that has ever been done in American history. And that is indict a former president or a sitting president. Well, you can't indict a sitting president. There's some, uh, debate on the constitution, uh, to that. So, you know, th- I imagined that we would wait on, you know, the eight o'clock hour to have our delegation. We'll have somewhat of a conversation with you, our listeners, but, um, lightning struck late yesterday afternoon, the news came down, um, you know, the kind of a misdirection on their part. They said there was no pending, uh, indictment coming down. Now there is, look, there may be some other charges. I mean, I wouldn't doubt that they're talking, remember, remember the playboy uh, model mm-hmm. that, um, McDougal or McDonald, whatever McDougal, I think may have been her name. Uh, I don't doubt that they're tr- going to try to kind of, um, you know, throw that in the batch with the other non-disclosure. Um, but, you know, tr- Trump has denied the wrongdoing. The The probe has been executed. The And I'm talking about the probe. The investigation has been um, executed. The grand jury has voted. I guess Trump say, honey, uh, baked ham sandwich today. Because if you can indict a ham sandwich, this is a good um, evidence of that. But but I, And there are a lot of other things we'll talk about. I don't know if you saw this or not, but Ron DeSantis said he's will, he will not assist in an extradition request, um, he doesn't say, I'll deny. He, he says, I will not assist. What exactly does that mean? I don't know. I'm not a lawyer. But when a governor of a state says, we will not assist, that's fairly vague in any extradition request. He did talk about a, a Soros-funded, I mean, I'm using the word racist. I mean, I, that, that's my word. I mean, you know, call me insensitive, call me controversial, take me off the radio, um, you know, if it was a white guy going after a black guy, it would be race as the motivator. Well, here's a, uh, you know, a district attorney who has said from the get go that if given the opportunity to go after Donald Trump, I'm going after Donald Trump. And, and, and Trump has been accused of being, you know, the most racist president ever, uh, make America great again, um, speaks to that time and period when, you know, whites had such a superior advantage over. So I'm going to return the favor. And, um, you know, I think he's a racist thug. I think D.A. Bragg is a racist thug seeking glory and fame, but he's doing it trampling on the Constitution in, in the most unreasonable way imaginable. And if the Republicans believe that they can write enough op-eds to settle the score, we'll get what we deserve. I, I did see some. I tell you, one of the places I always look is the comment section in the Wall Street Journal and National Review. That They're a little bit, uh, that they're... They're probably majority not supportive of Trump. But there was one, one this morning I read in National Review that said, very interesting, he said, I will not vote for Trump in the primary. I will vote for Trump in the general, and I've never voted for Donald Trump. Interesting. Mm. That, that's very interesting to me. And, and, if, mm. and if you're a subscriber to the Wall Street Journal National Review, you, you probably made a little more dedicated effort to understand the world of politics to some degree. Uh, you, you're not the typical Seinfeld watcher is what I'm arguing. So somebody, it might have been the Wall Street Journal or New, I mean, I, I've been through the, I mean, I, six or eight or 10 article. We'll go at about, normally wake up at 4.30, we'll go up at 3.30 because I couldn't sleep. I knew there was a lot to get really? to and a lot to talk about. And these news agencies, I'll give credit where credit's due. Uh, the New York Times, the the National Review, and the Wall Street Journal have had a, a lot of uh, human infrastructure committed 
to covering this case, and they were printing a story about every hour on the hour, new story after new story, new news after new news. But I read the comments because the comments aren't journalists. The comments are people giving their opinion about what they just read, and I just found that very interesting. I'm not voting for Trump in the primary. I will vote for Trump in the general, and I've never voted for Donald Trump before. They had two guests on Fox last night. I think they both were on Tucker. Jason Whitlock and Glenn Beck uh, both, you know, made their their comments, and then both of them put on red hats and said, you know, I'm MAGA all the way. What do they, well, once be. again, a lot of a lot of the nation is saying this is a sad. No, this is not a sad day. This is a scary day. Let me say that again. Forget sadness. This is a scary day in American history. One of the two political parties has decided to weaponize the applying of justice in America. The freest country man has ever known is nowhere near as free today as it was yesterday because a political party has decided to weaponize the application of justice, and that should not make you sad, but make you rather afraid. Hey, real quick, before we go to our call, 705 Robert Cahaley. Cahaley reached out to me of Trafalgar. He'll be with us at 705. Congressman Russell Fry will be with us at 730. Congressman Ralph Norman will be with us at 805. So Ralph will get into a little bit of the, the delegation's time. So we've got a full, full slate of, I don't say characters, uh, we've got a full slate of pollsters and congressmen there you and go. House members and senators uh, for your um, for your review this morning. Let's go to the phone. Boudreaux in Orangeburg listening to WTQS. Good morning. Good morning, Mr. R and Mr. Baker. Let's, uh, Ken, have you ever texted somebody LOL when really you, all you did was kind of chuckle? Oh, yeah. Like, you didn't really laugh out loud. But, oh, we do it all the time. I literally laughed out loud at your the probe was executed comments. I don't know what the po- if the pun was intended, but if you didn't smile when you said that, by God, you ought to have. It was intentional. Okay. It was intentional. Oh, oh, you made my morning, Ken. You made my morning. You know what amazes me when when uh, President Biden uh, talks about uh, the Republicans, the MAGA, the MAGA Republicans, not all of the MAGA, the MAGA Republicans. You know, make America great again. It's amazing that there's a group of Leaders, and there's some big old air quotes over my head when I say leaders, in our country that the, the thought, and I understand it's all because of who came up with the slogan. You know, I get that. But when you, when you realize what, and I know I heard what you said a moment ago about make America great back when white people had all the control. Honest to God, it's like me looking at a Confederate flag. You know, you don't get to decide. You can decide what offends you. You don't get to decide what I think about what offends you. You don't get to decide that if I wear a Confederate flag patch on my shoulder that it means I'm a racist. You don't get to decide that. See, you can decide that it bothers you. And, again, I, and I, I don't flaunt the Confederate flag. I'm not ashamed of it, but it's not, it's not a hill I'm going to die on. But make America great again means simply that. Make America where, where we were respected again. And I have a group of elite, again, air quotes, Leaders that are so repulsed by that concept. I mean, if they were saying Trump Republicans, I would, eh, I would, but to, to throw MAGA around when the words simply mean make this country that you're trying to lead great again, it, it's, 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 it's ridiculous. It, it makes as much sense as a football bat. Um, but no, you, you, I busted out laughing, kid. That was superb. 
Superbly delivered, sir. <laughs> Thank you, Boudreaux, from a comedian. So that means a lot. Thank right. you, my man. He Appreciate has some credibility it. in that department. Takes Mondays to make Fridays. This is not your normal Friday. This is the first Friday morning that I've ever sat behind a microphone where a former American president has been formally indicted on a criminal offense. Take a break. Back in a minute. You know, I was thinking about the the, the founding of our nation and, and how we've got I mean, because I think we've crossed the Rubicon. I mean, I think, you know, we we said a lot of things. We've speculated on a lot of things. We've argued about a lot of things. We've, you know, the one side's got the best of the other side at times. Uh, you know, I despise the healthcare model in America today, but it was passed legislatively in the dark of night. I mean, there were a lot of uh, dominoes that were put in place. Excuse me. A lot of um, pieces of the puzzle were put in place. And, um, you know, one domino fell, then another, and another, and another. Next thing you know, you end up with a um, kind of a government subsidized healthcare system, more so than we had with Medicare and Medicaid. But, but, but the. The abuse of power in this regard should strike fear in every single American. And I mean that sincerely, guys. And when you go back, and, and you, you know that I'm such a uh, a fan of Jefferson and some of the things Jefferson wrote. And I think Jefferson is probably the greatest political theorist in the history of mankind. I mean, I get Locke and Hobbes and some of the enlightened era writers. And I mean, we could argue that Jefferson plagiarized some of Locke's writings uh, you know, that that's a fair debate. But but I think about Jefferson, Adams, Hamilton, as much as I didn't like Hamilton's, you know, ideas about government. He was a brilliant, brilliant man and and understood the formation of a government that empowers man has to limit the control government has. And James Madison uh, was another who had a lot to say. And I, I went back and read it last night. Federalist Paper 51. Um, that's always been important to me. Once again, didn't register to vote, lost 40, knew I had a lot of catching up to do. So the way to catch up is read everything you can read about Jefferson, Franklin, Hamilton, as much as you disagree with him. And I read a lot of Man- Madison, read the Federalist Papers. And Federalist Paper 51 says, uh, famously, if men were angels, no government would be necessary. If angels were to govern men, neither external nor internal controls on government would be necessary. In framing a government which is to be administered by men over men, the great difficulty lies in this. You must first enable the government to control the governed, and the next place, oblige it to control itself. And I've actually always had that last line highlighted, oblige it to control itself. And this is, I mean, I understand hyper-partisanship. I I do. You know, I don't like it. I don't respect it. But I understand, I mean, if I were going to name today's show, because once again, I mean, th- 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 say it with me, what, what Madison said about government, it must be obliged to control itself. And we've got people in power who are drunk with having that power, and they're not disciplined enough to control themselves. They just simply are not. And, and it's the cathedral, the deep state, I mean, and Waco. And it's pretty poignant that Trump would go to Waco to have a rally talking about controlling government or government controlling itself. I mean, for a long time, I thought Koresh was crazy. I think still think Koresh was crazy, but I think Reno was uh, abusive of her power. Uh, She was a kind of, you know, the government will take care of this. The government will handle this. Well, Well, the most important thing in Federalist Paper 51, as far as I'm concerned, is when Madison says the government must be obliged to control itself. And when the government demonstrates consistently an unwillingness or inability to control itself, something has to happen. 
Now, now what happens? I don't know. I mean, I don't have any idea. I mean, I don't have the playbook. I, I wasn't hired head coach of that team. You know, I'm speculating. But but I'll say this. Um, Trump in Waco said that if if the either the deep state is to be destroyed or America is to be destroyed. I mean, I'm paraphrasing there, but not very loosely. I could find the exact quote here if you give me a second. Um, but but in, in essence, he's saying, I mean, it was in this speech he gave in Waco when he said, I mean, I'll get it exactly right here. Uh, maybe I won't. Maybe I misspoke and said I could get mad. But I mean, he basically says um, that, uh, well, here you go. Ready? On March 25th, former President Donald Trump spoke at a rally in Waco and said, either the deep state destroys America or we destroy the deep state. And I think that's where we are. I mean, I really, if I were going to name this show this morning, I mean, I told Reb my tweet at about 4.30 was um, E Pluribus Unum Mias. I mean, you know, I, 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 you know, it's just not true anymore. I mean, it's just, it's simply not, we're not one anymore. I mean, out of many come, what we're not that. Stop believing that. That's fantastical. I mean, that, that's romancing about things that just aren't true any longer. So there's a battle for the heart and soul of America. We aren't one. A group of activists within government chose to indict a former president on paying a woman to keep her mouth shut about whether they had an affair or not. I mean, that's where we are, guys. It's not real complicated. And I'm not sad. I mean, I'm trying to decide, am I more afraid or angry? Because I'm both. I mean, I am as mad as hell about what they're doing to this nation, not what they're doing to Donald Trump. I mean, Trump is a manifestation of kind of a resistance movement of the establishment, the cathedral, the deep state, um, you know, this cabal of academics and journalists and media and, uh, you know, uh, elite, this particular elite universities, but, um, you know, the, the administrative agencies within our federal government that have amassed so much power and influence over all of our lives, and they're not responsible with that power any longer. I mean, the day that Matt Taibbi appears before Congress, the IRS pays him a, a visit and leaves a note and says, get back with us in four days. I mean, imagine laying down at the bed at night knowing you got to call the IRS. Not now, not in an hour, but four days. Of, of course that's intentional. It's intimidating. I mean, it, it's, it's fear-mongering. It's trying to scare the hell out of somebody. And that's not the intent of government. And it goes back to Federalist Paper 51 and what Madison said. If the government can't oblige to control itself, something's going to happen. And here we are. And I'm not, I'm not arguing for, you know, a, um, an insurrection. But there has to be something to put government back in its place. And I don't have any idea uh, what that is. But once again, we've argued about issues. We've debated issues. We've had hyperpartisanship. We had a civil war, for God's sake. But we've never had a former president indicted. And I'm not talking about robbing a bank or killing someone. I'm talking about whether he paid a woman to keep her mouth shut about an affair he says they didn't have, and she says they did. And now we're going to read. And the guy ran for office saying, give me the opportunity. I mean, the racist DA ran for office saying, give me the opportunity, and I'll show you I'm not afraid to go after, air quotes here, Donald Trump. How are we not outraged at that? I mean, how can you turn your television to Seinfeld today and not dig into the minutiae of trying to find out more. Forget your opinion of Trump. I mean, this is so much bigger than Donald Trump. Forget your opinion of Trump. I mean, what do the Republicans do? Well, I mean, I, you know, I know what I'd do. I mean, we've got a congressional investigatory committee. We've got foreign bank records. 
what we've got um, uh, wiring and transferring of money from foreign governments to um, family members of the current president. I mean, let, let's go down that road. It's time, guys, to fight fire with fire. I'm sorry. You can't stand on the steps of a church and read the Declaration of Independence and pray to God to fix this thing. I, I think this is in our hands. And we've got to be activated to the point. And once again, I'm not calling for violence. I'm not calling for violence. But we, we've got to find people willing to go to government. And, you know, part of the cathedral, this is on the podcast yesterday. And I think Riff's kind of interested. Part of the cathedral is Curtis Yarvin and, and Peter Thiel and, uh, and Tucker Carlson and J.D. Vance and Blake Masters. I mean, they, they would be the, uh, the dissident right. I mean, that would be, uh, I, I told Rev yesterday, to me, Hawley and Cruz are trying to decide whether they want to be converts or not, or are they going to be saved or not. So Cruz and Hawley, are the, um, I mean, they're kind of straddling the fence. But they got a foot in the establishment camp. Hawley less than Cruz. I mean, Cruz has a foot in the traditional conservative camp, but he's so intrigued by this alt-right. But, but the one thing they want to do, Rev, is on, on, on day one, 30, if, in other words, if Trump gets elected in 2024, the first thing he does is fire 35,000 federal workers. You don't know if they're good or bad, but you can't roll the dice and take a chance. I mean, it's, it's pretty obvious now that they, they move as a glacier. They move as one. The media journalism, academia, the administrative agencies within our government, they have amassed almost monolithic power and control over a lot of the way we live our lives, and they're not doing it in our best interest. They're doing it in the most abusive way imaginable of the power that's been entrusted in those people, and something has to happen in regard. They're not going to check themselves, but they've proven that. As Madison says in, in Federalist Paper 51, um, you know, they if they don't oblige to correct themselves or control or contain themselves, then someone has to do it. And that's our responsibility. Let's go to the phone. Jeff in Florence. Morning, Jeff. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Jeff. Hey, Ken, I know you're having a bad day, but it's... I'm actually having a great day, Jeff. (laughs) You got to prepare yourself for this about four more times. You know, criminals tend to be. Well, I mean, I'm sure that they, they, I mean, of course, that Nadler said, Jerry Nadler, Democrat said, we can't trust the American people to elect this guy again. So, of course, I expected four or five more times. Right. And and Kevin McCarthy said, we're doing this Benghazi investigation to take down Hillary's poll numbers. I mean, there's that, that's out there, right? Is that not weaponization? Yeah. Is there, wasn't there an indictment? No, no, but they dragged her in. But, but was there an indictment? Was, was there a criminal offense charge? No, because okay. there was no crime. But it oh, no, no, no. Hillary never yeah. committed a crime, did you? Comey <laughs> said she committed a yeah. crime, but he thought it was in the best interest of the country not to indict. Comey said she committed a crime. And what happened to Comey? Donald Trump had the FBI investigate him and McCabe. What, what, what does that have to do with Hillary, though? What does that Matt have to do with Hillary? Well, you talked you talk about Matt Teeby, like it's some unknown, never happened before thing. It happened, it happened to two uh, former U.S. Uh, government employees. Donald Trump sent the IRS on uh, Comey and McCabe. You know that, right? I don't know that. I think the New York okay, Times well, reported you that. Should read. Yeah, you, you should read. Um, Jeff, I do read. So, stop trying to be insulting. I mean, in all honesty, try, uh, stop trying to be insulting. I, I don't insult you. I don't you think don't, I insult I, you. You, you, you know, well, you do, but that's okay. <laughs> so I, I'll just say this. Um, this is the weakest case they have out there. And if the outrage is going to be um, brought about this one, it, it, it's only getting worse. 
sometimes criminals get caught and they get punished. And uh, sadly, this is what's happening. It was inevitable. Let me ask you a question, Jeff. How did Donald Trump yeah. make billions of dollars in the private sector and never get charged with a crime? How? He uses the court system very effectively. No, no, I'm, he, I'm asking he, I'm, I'm a serious question. Do you think he's turned into a criminal since he became president? You think Donald Trump abided all the laws of the land while he made his fortune, while he built a business? I mean, do you think he do you think he ever violated any law or do you think he was clean as a whistle? How many cases did he settle? How many non disclosures? Uh, that's not what I'm asking, crime? Jeff. I'm asking was well, he committed I'm, I'm, was you, he a criminal prior to becoming president or not? Um, if if his tax returns were looked at, he I think you would find you you know as well as I do the reason Trump is charged with a crime because he is a threat to the political ecosystem that has amassed so much influence and power, and this is what happens when someone challenges the status quo. You know that you're smart enough to know that you don't buy in to Trump's any different than Hillary or Trump's any different than Clinton or Trump's any different than Obama or the Bidens, and we'll see how the Biden situation plays out. Um, and we'll see how the Trump situation plays out. But Absolutely. to suggest that Trump is not being politically persecuted is a bizarre and an inconsistent notion as far as I'm concerned. So, so so let me ask you a question. Was was Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton persecuted? Politically persecuted, never charged with a crime. Oh, really? They didn't charge. They, they didn't. Donald, you're, you're telling me Bill Clinton didn't cut a plea deal with a special prosecutor. But was Bill Clinton charged with a crime? Was Bill he was Clinton going to be? When you say he was going, I'm asking a simple question: Was Bill Clinton ever indicted of a crime? No, because but was Hillary Clinton ever before. indicted of a crime? No. What was was because John Edwards ever indicted of a crime? Yes. No, John Edwards was not. He was booked. Yes, he was. Yes, he was. He has a mugshot. John Edwards has a mugshot. Yes, he does. Okay, I've never seen that. I didn't know that. I was not aware of that. Yes, he does. For the same thing that Donald Trump's in trouble for in this case. In this case. Okay, Jeff. Thank you a lot. Appreciate it. 843-661-0937. Got to run. Hey, at 705, Robert Cahaley at 730, Russell Fry, member of Congress at 805, Ralph Norman, member of Congress. And then we'll have our delegation. They'll get pushed back just a bit. And um, I'm sorry, but this is going to be a a very busy and eventful morning. 843-661-0937. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I'm not sure I'm the best guy to be listening to this morning because I'm not emotionally measured. I mean, I've, I've always been the kind of person who lets his emotions get the best of him. I'm unapologetic about that. I mean, I sent an email out early this morning about an issue I'm dealing with. And I said in the, uh, in the email, I apologize for my stubbornness, but I'm stuck with it. I apologize for my emotional investment, but there's nothing I can do about it. I'm not sad today. I mean, I am not sad. I woke up to two texts. This is a sad day for America. I'm angry and I'm afraid and I'm afraid of what we're allowing to happen within uh, the, the, I guess, the bowels of our government. Once again, Riff, I've been around politics a while. Our, our next guest has been around it longer than I have. I understand political dirty tricks. I mean, they work both ways, but this is a, to me, an unprecedented abuse of power. I mean, the power to indict in a politically motivated individual is one of the most threatening things in our society, period. And it has to be taken more seriously than some people are taking it. And, you know, District Attorney Bragg decided to indict a former president and current frontrunner in the Republican primary 
of paying a woman to keep her mouth shut about an affair. That's just, I mean, that that's bizarre to me. And that, there's a that, large group of people that are celebrating that well, today. But, but, and, and I want to say this. If I had to name this show this morning, I would name it E Pluribus Unum Mass. I mean, that, that, it's, not, it's not out of many come one. I mean, that's not where we are today, guys. I'm sorry. That is not where we are today. You can romance about Jefferson and Hamilton all you'd like, but we're at a very different place in American politics today. And, you know, we talked yesterday about Yarvin and Teal and some of these cathedralists and, and it's kind of the, um, the dissident right. But, you know, I think Trump is a, he's kind of a manifestation of that. Robert Cahaley, senior strategist with Trafalgar's with us. Robert, good morning. How are you? I mean, I just woke up to e plurivin in my ass. I mean, that, that's amazing. <laughs> no, you didn't just wake up because you texted me at 3.55 this morning. Uh, I, I, yeah. this, this guy's probably drank more energy drinks than anybody human on the planet. I mean, there's no telling how many energy drinks Kahaley's <laughs> drunk over the years. So, Robert, I, to take your pollster hat off for a second. You're somewhat of a political historian. Well, what do you make of this? You know, I think that it's important that people – Think back to after the 2016 election. If you remember, during a lot of the Trump rallies, they were talking about lock her up, lock her up. Now, Trump was president, and they had the Senate and the House. Did they go investigate Hillary Clinton? No. Trump said, that's not what we do in America. We don't jail our opponents. And I think he set the tone for not having political grudges after campaigns with, with, the, with the law enforcement system. So this is an, this is not just uh, out of context, but it is actually against the precedent that he set. I mean, he set that bar high, and yet this bar, bar is being violated. Now, the mistake that I think is being made here is this is so unprecedented, and it's I mean, of all the things they're accusing him of, the, 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 the flimsiest charge. Uh, you know, he hasn't even conceded that he paid her. She said he didn't pay her. She said there was no affair. So. I don't even like when the media acts like that's that's a foregone conclusion because you got two of the people involved that it's not. But what's really important to look at is that this is a move, just a complete abuse of the system, and and it sends a message that they they'll do anything. And you know, one of the things I said in today's Globe article in, in the UK is that Trump thrives when he's a conservative martyr. This is right up his alley. This is exactly what he needed. I mean, they don't understand. There are people who said, I'm not going to vote for Trump. I want something different. And a lot of these people are saying, you know what the hell with it? I'm going to – I had it. And so they're they're doing this. Now, the one thing everybody needs to be aware of, and everybody who can hear me in the conservative world that's listening to this, they're trying to coax you into doing something rash. They are trying to coach you into doing something January 6th so they can expand the Justice Department, start locking people up and say to the American public, here, see how dangerous they are. Don't take their bait. So what to do, Robert, if not doing, and, I, and I'll agree with you, I mean, in no way, shape, or form should we use violence as an answer or a response. But what should the Republican, I mean, if you, give, you give device to a lot of the Republican Party and leadership. What would you advise them today to do in response? If I was the Republican Party chairman, whatever day Trump is going to turn himself in, I would do like what they've been doing in France and Israel, and I call upon a national strike and tell everybody not to go to work that day and show exactly how this country feels. 
Robert, could you and I be wrong? I mean, I think I have a good sense and instinct about how the country feels. You have a lot of data and analysis to suggest the country feels a certain way. Could could we be wrong that America is not as fed up with the establishment-oriented politics as you and I think they are? I don't think so. I think what 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 you see happening is that the number of people who are kind of left on the sidelines who don't who don't vote has decreased. Trump bought a lot of people into the process. And there are people out there right now who are just looking around and they see what is going on. They see chaos at the border. They see America looking weak. They see the Chinese president and and Putin standing there together and it scares them. And they see our banks that are, you know, unstable. And all of a sudden it's like this whole world is collapsing and this is what they're doing. This is what they have time for. I can't believe victim rights advocates in New York aren't protesting, saying, why are you not putting criminals in jail? Why are you wasting resources on this? Uh, I I think that 2020 was an election where people – where some of the people who voted against Trump thought, I'm tired of the circus. I want the chaos to end. I want the partisanship to end. And he – and Biden ran as just that kind of guy who was going to bring everybody together. Well, he did exactly the opposite. So I don't, I don't think that 2020 would be – 2024 would be a replay of 2020 just because people know what they got. They, have, they look back in perspective and say, here's what I had with Trump. Here's what I had with Biden. Now, that's an informed decision. And I think even the segment of the population who voted against Trump that maybe voted for him before are people who are on the fence. If Trump's the nominee, will say, you know what, I don't want that. I mean, we've been polling Republicans all along, and there was a lot who didn't want Trump to run again. But when you say, all right, put it all aside, if he is the nominee, it's in the 90s percent that will vote for him. And so I really think this this, this next election could be very different uh, on that front. And, I, and it, there are just so many people out there who have just kind of had it. I mean, the, the people who truly, truly hate Trump, there are a lot of them. But it's not any more than 35 percent of the population. Robert, when I read the comment section, I read it this morning. Actually, I've already commented on it. There were several comments on the Wall Street Journal and the Nash Review. I subscribe to both because I do a job that requires me to subscribe. And I read some of the comments. And I read an interesting comment this morning. And the Wall Street Journal and National Review are no lovers of Trump. I mean, they would be more antagonistic toward the Trump you know, phenomenon than, than supportive. But, but I read a couple of uh, comments this morning. And one in particular caught my attention. It said, um, I will not vote for Trump in the primary, but I will vote for Trump in the general, and I've never voted for Trump before. Is that some of the reinforcement you're talking about? That, that's that, exactly, that, that's what I'm talking about. It, so, it, is, it is exactly. Conservatives are always out there looking for a direction. And a lot of times the best way to figure out what your direction is if you're a conservative is what side is the left most against? So how do and you reckon making him that poster child? Uh, but but how do you reconcile? I want Trump gone, but I condemn the indictment. I mean, it's almost like, hey, in the same sentence, I've got friends who say I want Trump gone, but I'll absolutely condemn this indictment. I mean, there there are a lot of people who feel that there's way that consider themselves cons- out there saying that. I mean. You had that Ramesh Swami guy who said that yesterday 
you, you have even Pence saying that, and we know Pence has no love loss for the guy. These people are saying this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. And frankly, you know, the fact that we haven't heard from, you know, um, um, Mitch McConnell, where is he? What side is he on? It is time to pick a side. It is time to decide which side you're on. I mean, you're on the side of the rule of law. That doesn't mean you're on Trump's side. You can be against the Trump indictment and not for Trump to win the nomination. There's nothing wrong with that. But but you have to be for the rule of law. You, You have to be for equal treatment under the law. And that's what we're supposed to have guaranteed. But even, even those things, equal treatment, free speech, all this stuff is, is debatable all of a sudden. Let's go to the analysis and data, Robert. Um, I mean, I, I made a statement this morning, somewhat provocative. I think the primary is over. I mean, I think the indictment, the, the eventual arrest will lead to Trump winning the Republican primary by a wide margin. Well, I mean, you've got a better handle on the data analysis. What, what do you, how do you respond to that sentence? I don't know the answer to that yet, but let me give you just a, a clue. This is something that's not public, so I'm not going to give the exact numbers. But before all this indictment stuff talk, uh, we were in the field, and Trump had a 12-point lead. Once this talk started, it was 14. I'll be able to tell you more by next Monday or Tuesday. But I expect that number to jump up even higher. Now, some polls are showing a lot higher, but I think where Trump is, where DeSantis is, has to do with how many candidates you list. And so we did a much wider uh, deep dive and listed like 12 different candidates. And so that's why numbers are a little tighter, gave you a lot more choices. Uh, but I, I, I do. I think that that we're going to know more. Um, you know, and in, I, I think deep down, if if this tide starts moving this way, I, I would, wouldn't be surprised if a DeSantis recalculates. Uh, the guy's a smart guy. He's a numbers guy. And the one thing he didn't want to do was run and lose. That was my next question. You kind of stole my thunder. DeSantis Sorry. says he will not assist in an extradition request. Um, I mean, that's play into the Trump base. That's play into the, you know, I'm, I'm, it, I'm, it I may is, not be I, your I guy, but very, I'm. I found it very curious, though. Um, and, and maybe, maybe it's, I think it's a little too deep. But when you say you won't, you won't, you know, participate in the extradition. Is it possible that some prosecutor would say that this makes Trump a flight risk and not let him out? That's interesting. So you think DeSantis is mulling over the next two weeks of data? I think he's mulling over the next. He said his timeline is, um, I mean, a Memorial Day weekend area. And I think he's got a lot more than two weeks of data. I think he's got a lot of time. Uh, I'm just telling you, he's a smart guy. He's a strong leader, and uh, you know he's he's one, he is very sharp. And so you know it it it, it might he might he might think twice. I, I don't you know how this is going to turn out is going to depend on how they proceed with this. I mean the thing is this guy is a former president. The NYPD isn't going to go put handcuffs on this guy if the Secret Service says he ain't going to wear handcuffs. I mean, we can see a little, little, little uh, dust up when this all goes down. They've got to do this some stuff in accordance to their priority one, which is protecting his safety, which is their charge. And they're not going to just let him not. I mean, you know, Trump may be the first guy to ever spend a couple hours in a detention center with two secret service agents. 
waiting on the processing. Robert, there, there's also um, the consideration that this is all about the Democrats choosing the Republicans nominee for them, that they know that if they do this to Trump, the forces will rally. I mean, I've argued you'd probably know better than I. I think the party right now is probably two third America first, one third what I'd call tr- traditional conservatism of the National Review ilk. Um, but but there's a lot of us who believe, a lot of people out there who believe that this is all about, you know, motivating the Trump voter to emphatically support their candidate. Therefore, we get to beat him in, in 2024. What do you make of that rationale? I think it's a little bit of both. I think they would, I mean, here's the thing. It doesn't take very long to figure out where the left's going. If you're ever curious what the left wants, Go look at sham operations like Morning Consult and look at what their polls say, because you know they they work for essentially the Democrat Party. So when those guys are saying Trump having a big lead, that means that's who they want. Now the other thing they want is not just for Trump to be um, the nominee; they want Trump to be the nominee with a long drawn out court case that's not settled by election day, so they can say. Here's a guy awaiting trial, an indicted guy. Are you going to elect that? Last question, Robert. Can DeSantis do what needs to be done? I mean, if you and I believe that there's organizational structures gotten so corrupt, so one-sided, so so monolithic, let's say Teal and Yarvin and, and J.D. Vance and some of these um, some of these dissident writers um, are right, and and this this cathedral, this cabal of academia, media, journalism, um, the administrative agencies within our government all move as one, and it's to suppress dissent to make sure you know um, they get their way. At the end of the day, is Trump the only guy that could forcefully forcefully challenge? I mean, if there's such an enterprise as the deep state, I think there is. I think you believe there is, but but it, it, could could DeSantis realistically? be the guy that follows Trump and, and challenges this, um, this monolith that, that we all believe in, or most of us believe in? You know, I certainly hope so, but I can tell you this. A candidate who is going to upset the establishment is not going to have support of Jeb and the other Bushes the way he does and some of the establishment people, quote-unquote, lining up behind him. So if that's true, these rumors that, that that crowd has gotten behind him, then not only would he not upset it, he'd be part of it. How do we know that, Robert? I mean, I've read the same things. You you know more than I do, and I'll let you devote well, what I, you choose I, I to devote. I don't, I don't know. I just hear what's out there and been in the media from people who claim they do know. But if, if that cabal has gotten behind him, you know, it, it's re- you know, it's really hard to have that, to have that group of people take you to the dance and then – and then diss them. Well, explain. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate you getting up early this morning, and thank you for waking me up at 3.55 this morning. Oh, stop it. (laughs) (laughs) Fair fair enough. Thank you, Robert Cayley, Senior Strategist Trafalgar, giving us a few moments of his time. Thank you, my man, and I hope to get you soon in our studio for our podcast. Absolutely. Thanks. Good deal. Bye Robert, bye. Uh, once again, I was, was going to say, Robert Gailey, senior strategist, <laughs> Trafalgar, given, given a high degree of insight there, kind, yeah, kind of an interesting um, take. I mean, Robert, uh, you know, I guess I am a professional radio show host, but Robert is a professional provider of data that is accurate to people willing to pay for it. He refuses to call himself a pollster. He's rather a um, an analyst who provides accurate information or as accurate as possible. You know, I don't want to go down this road with Robert, but on the podcast, I want to get him uh, to, to, to kind of explain to you, uh, our listeners and viewers on the podcast, how they go about 
and how challenging polling has become because once again um the private funding of campaigns or excuse me the private funding of elections the the ballot harvesting the unsolicited mail-in ballots the post-covid way of voting i mean robert can really go into detail and specificity about how different it is today than it was before covid uh you know likely voters um, you know, independent voters. I mean, they had a pretty good handle on, you know, and, and Robert of those, I mean, Kaylee will tell you, um, they built a mousetrap they thought was better than any at one thing, finding the Trump voter. I mean, that, that was their claim to fame. And that's why they were a rocket ship and, and, you know, better understanding the Republican voter, the Trump voter, the convergence of Republicanism and Trumpism, so to speak, the America first agenda. I mean, they built a, an exceptional mousetrap that found those people far better than any poll. But as Robert said, when you turn unlikely voters into likely voters, unregistered voters into registered voters, it's hard. I mean, it's real hard to find where the truth lies. 843-661. We'll take a break. On the other side, Trump endorsed in a recent congressional election, Russell Fry. Back in a minute. You know, it's kind of an interesting universe of people who want Trump gone. I get it. But condemn the indictment. That's kind of a, um, that puts you in a complicated <laughs> and conflicted uh, position. You know, I'm torn. I mean, I, I'll level with you. Uh, I'll tell you the story. I was on the steering committee in 2020. I was asked to be on the steering committee in 2024, and I was told by people I trust to keep my powder dry. Uh, I, I want to blow up the establishment. Well, I mean, what do you think about what Robert just said about DeSantis and about the Bushes and the establishment? I mean, but but you got to think about That was this. interesting. It's interesting, but who's... Who's pitching that? I mean, if you're Trump's guy, I mean, don't you pitch that? I mean, if you believe DeSantis has a chance to beat you in a primary, you don't think Nikki can do it. You don't think Pence can do it. You don't think Vivek can do it. But you think DeSantis could. I mean, th- there's a chance. You and I have agreed. I mean, that's, you know, that's two heavyweights oh, yeah. in Republican lore today. So if you're Trump, why wouldn't you float some information out there, whether accurate or not, that DeSantis is being supported by Carl Rove? and Jeb Bush, and Mitch McConnell. I mean, the one thing the um, the majority of Trump's, not all Republican voters, but the, the one thing the majority of Trump, excuse me, Republican voters don't like is this um, this insiderism. This, um, you know, and I think Yarvin, guys, I, I'm, I'm going I'm to encourage people to do this. Read everything you can on Curtis Yarvin and Peter Thiel. I mean, but, it really Yarvin, is. Yarvin's kind of out there. Well, though, the Yarvin's, well, Thiel's out there. I mean, the difference in Yarvin and Teal is Teal's made billions of dollars and it's become legitimate by being the first investor, not named Zuckerberg, in Facebook. I mean, Teal's more mainstream. You're right. Yarvin is out there. Um, and it's so interesting where these guys come from because it's not about traditional politics. It's not about, hey, here's what the conservatives do. Here's what the liberals do. Um, and, and, Rev, I'll say this. You know, the Jeffs of the world, with all due respect, and I mean this with a high, de- high degree of respect, I... I expected to hear from Jeff today. I really did. Um, Jim Comey tweeted yesterday, it's a good day. So a former FBI director is celebrating the fact that, you know, uh, uh, a former president's been indicted for, you know, a non-disclosure. I'll, I'll, you know, I'm spinning it a bit here. But one of the interesting points here, I mean, and I mean this, and it goes back to the complex argument of Trumpism. Trump believes that this is about him. I mean, he's an arrogant man. I mean, he's a narcissistic soul. I mean, I'm sorry. I I voted, and I would probably vote for him. I know I'd vote for him again. Without question, I'd vote for him again. I'm more likely today to vote for him than I've ever been. 
But because once again, this this machine has demonstrated its willingness to do anything imaginable to make sure whomever they perceive to be a threat is not allowed to see the, the light of day. I said it earlier, Reb, that their politics has a history of dirty tricks. We just talked to Robert Cahaley five seconds ago. Robert could say for and against. I've done dirty political tricks. I've been victimized by dirty political tricks. This is not a dirty political trick. This is a an unprecedented abuse of power. A district attorney in Manhattan ran for office saying, if given the opportunity, I'm going to get Donald Trump. I mean, how do you suggest to anybody that that's not politically motivated? And the case is very flimsy at best. So we'll see how, I mean, Robert said they'll have some data by the middle of next week on whether or not Trump, you know, I mean, I got to believe that the, the more he combats the deep state, and I think Bragg is the poster child of the deep state today, um, the more likely Trump is to be the Republican um, nominee. And, and I do think Robert made an interesting point. If indeed the data shows that Trump has benefited, imagine this, Trump benefits from being indicted and eventually arrested. If the data shows that, DeSantis may take a pass. I mean, DeSantis may thank you, but no thank you. I get it. I mean, he doesn't need to lose. I understand he's young and he's popular and he's done a lot of really cool things in, in Florida, but, but he ain't Donald Trump. I'm sorry. He's not Donald Trump. He's not the political blunt instrument. He doesn't have the, 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 the bravado or a cachet of a Donald Trump. And there's no doubt what Robert said is true. Trump's election or not is about independence, not the primary, but the general. And, and if you can, uh, if you can reconcile, you know, I want Trump gone, but I condemn the indictment, then, uh, you know, enough independents would come over and say, hey, man, I mean, it, Trump's narcissistic and he's bombastic and he's irreverent. But the economy sure was better. And the country seemed to be more competently managed when he was uh, president. So we shall say, hey, one of the guys who knows Trump and has been um, very much on Trump's radar as a result of the first impeachment vote um, that a former Congress member took is Congressman Russell Fry. He's with us this morning. Russell, good morning. How are you? I am good. A little tired. Got in at midnight last night, but we are, uh, you know, we're ready to go. Well, we, we had a list here, and we'll get to some of these things a second ago, but I got to believe you have a strong opinion about what happened yesterday with the district attorney in Manhattan indicting Trump and eventually an arrest. We think Trump will turn himself in Tuesday. Um, what say you of that? Look, and I, I care about the rule of law. I mean, when you think about it, and I say that from a sense that we're a country of laws. We're a country of historical precedent. We respect things. I think this is worse than we feared because you look at what is going on and people can't help but wonder, am I next? Is my government going to do this to me? I mean, I just kind of want to put up a welcome sign in front of any airport or a port of entry or whatever and say, welcome to the Banana Republic of the United States, because I really fear that that's what we're becoming. We don't do this. This is unprecedented. And, 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 and I, I take a, a very skeptical view of this indictment because other prosecutors passed on this. That's the thing that we have to remember is they looked at this case and they said, nah, there's not enough there. Nah, the evidence doesn't back it up. And so you have a district attorney, a state district attorney. He's not, he's not a federal U.S. attorney. 
He's a state district attorney, George Soros funded, so call me a skeptic if you will. But he takes this case that everyone else has passed over, looks at this thing and says, yeah, we're going to do it. I just it, it, it baffles me. And then you, you turn around and you look at, you know, kind of the litany of things that are going on. You know, he comes into office. He, he can't prosecute his own crimes. In fact, he won't prosecute his own crimes that are happening in Manhattan. He turned uh, he, he he just continues to blast away. And I think the, the cultural, the, the legal norms of this country uh, and I think it's detrimental. I mean, I'm I'm. I'm incredibly concerned. I think we all should be uh, because, you know, yesterday we we keep talking about things being broken uh, and things getting a little bit worse every single day. Uh, But this is this is what when we talk about the weaponization of government, this is what we're talking about. But, Russell, when you say we don't do things like this in our country, we do now. We we absolutely do things like this in our country now. So so many Republican voters believe the Republican Party has been, uh, I, I'll say it, I mean, I, with all due respect, a bit candy ass in, in accepting the responsibility and the confrontation that the liberals have weaponized government uh, for, from your seat. I mean, you're, 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 you're new in, in Washington. You're not new to politics, mm-hmm. but you are new, new to Washington. I mean, do you sense a willingness to fight back? Because I think people who voted for Trump saw in Trump someone who was not afraid to brawl, not afraid to mix it up. And, and they were kind of intrigued by that because they feel their party historically has let them down when it came time right. to punch back. Yeah, no, I think we are. And, uh, you know, so I personally am, and I think we are. Um, you know, some people might be more reticent or whatever, but for me personally, you know, this, this, is, this is an all-out assault. And when, if we care about the, the, the liberties that we enjoy, if we want to return to that, look, impeachment was historic in the sense that it was total BS. It was the speed at which it came. I mean, we, I, I, you know, I look at institutions of government, and can we look at the rule of law. There are a lot of things that, that really separate us from the rest of the world. One of those is the adherence to the rule of law, that things are – that we respect institutions and that institutions are allowed to, to, to help facilitate uh, the future, you know, the, the, the governance of this country. This is under attack. And so you look at the, the, the precedent set by Nancy Pelosi when she impeached him, the way that there was zero due process. This is the problem that I have with impeachment. Of course, we talked a lot about this on the campaign, uh, but I think we're absolutely fighting back. And I think from, uh, from, from what we can do, right? So we can't arrest somebody. We're not at a federal agency that we can go and stop him or, or whatever. But is there an oversight component? This is Congress's role. What was the role of the federal government in setting this up? Are there federal funds being used by the district attorney? Are there coordination efforts being used? I think that's actually a question that I want to get to. Are there coordination efforts being used by the Biden administration, you know, working with the district attorney. And again, we look at we look at the, the role of a, uh, a constitutional role. Can a local prosecutor elected locally prosecute a former president of the United States? I think these are constitutional questions that we have to ask ourselves is can they do that, particularly when there's a political component to this? I think that's what everyone really fears the most about this uh, and knows the most is this isn't the rule of law. This isn't somebody committed a crime. 
this this looks and smells like, and polling backs this up. I'm sure Robert DeHaley's talked about that. That this looks like a political hit job. Russell, you did do some work this week. I want to touch on that if you don't mind before I let you get out of here. Congressman Russell Fry is joining us this morning. It's Friday, not F R I D A Y, but rather F R Y D A Y. Um, a lot of our listeners are interested in the Second Amendment. Um, you participated in hearings on the ATF regarding the Second Amendment. Update us on what happened in Washington this week regarding that. Well, you know, we had uh, last week we did that one, and, and ATF uh, has come up with a rule, right? Um, you, you have a company, uh, SB Tactical, that creates uh, pistol braces, right? They've sold $40 million in the United States. Something I've seen. I mean, there's a ton of pistol braces out there. And the gentleman who did that, he's a veteran. He did it to help a fellow veteran friend who couldn't stabilize his arm, um, you know, after coming back overseas. And so he created this product and he flagged it for ATF. He says, does this product that I'm looking at here, I just made this product, does this product violate any national laws? Can we create it? Does it make pistols now subject to the National Firearms Act? What, whatever. Does it do any of this? And the answer to that was no, and it was in writing. And so he creates this product, it sells, um, and now the ATF has changed its tune, right? Like they are, they're taking this and saying, now your pistol is no longer a pistol, it's actually a short barrel rifle, which subject, subjects it to this law. And if you don't register your pistol, if you don't um, um, comply with this four hour that takes to fill out documents, you are, you could be a felon, actually, and subject to a $250,000 fine. And so this is a total, I, I think, this is what, when we, we talk about the rules of engagement being changed underneath this, this is one of those things. This isn't a tweak or like where an administration says, this is what Congress intended. In, in this case, you have an agency that is creating law. Well, if, if they're creating law, then what am I there for? What is any senator or congressman doing up there if agencies can just wholesale create law? Congress never intended for the ATF to have, one, that authority, and two, have authority on this subject. We've already weighed in on this when they passed that act however long ago. Um, but you know, the, the reality is that the, because of this rule, you have to either comply or become a felon. Well, if there's 20 or 30 million Americans out there with pistol braces, that's a real big problem, particularly if they don't know that this is coming down the pipeline. They order this thing online. They get it from their gun store. Wherever they get it, it was legal at the time, and now it makes them not legal if they don't know about it. Uh, and, of course, the, the practical effect also is that this business now gets shut down uh, because nobody's going to want to buy the pistol braces if this is coming into effect. So we set up that hearing um, and did that to to then come around. We were actually going to do it this week, uh, but uh, timing being what it was, we're going to come back and do it later. But there's going to be legislation on the heels of this that is going to come through the House to to erode that. But ATF is way out of their lane right now. Um, this is this is again uh, a big problem that agencies have is that they create law in the middle of the night when nobody's looking and expect us to abide by it. This is when people get frustrated from a business perspective, you know, that a county or a city or a state um, change the rules and all of a sudden start enforcing regulations that a legislative body never intended. And this is just another example of that.
Very well explained. Russell, thank you for your time. Appreciate all the hard work. We will talk again uh, unless something crazy happens next week. We'll talk the week after next as um as we have a stand kind of a standing feature every other Friday. It's um it's not F R I D Y, but rather F R Y D A Y. Thank you, Congressman. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, sir. We'll take a break. We'll be back in just a few moments. Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven. There's a simple analysis to give amongst our listeners, and the majority would be in my camp. I mean, we're not trusting of government. We're highly suspicious of government. We'd rather government leave us alone. The nature of liberalism is more trusting of government, more sympathetic to government, more forgiving of government. Of course, Trump broke the law. You got to do what you got to do when you've got such a um, a scoundrel as Donald Trump in the White House. So I would expect this disagreement. I mean, I would expect Jeff to end up about where Jeff is. I would expect Jim Comey. I mean, Comey professes to be a Republican, but, but Comey's an insider. He's a cathedralist. I mean, he, he's um he's part of the monolith that moves as one. So anytime someone is deemed a threat to that monolith, it doesn't matter if you're a Republican or a Democrat. I mean, it, it, the leading Republican in America today is Kevin McCarthy. I mean, he has responded very aggressively in what he thinks of the DA in Manhattan. We've not heard a whisper. I've not out of Mitch McConnell. But McConnell's a cathedralist. I mean, McConnell is far more interested in staying in power and, and keeping those who trust him and he trusts them in power. And that is the crux of the matter, guys. And, and when you look at a liberal, the, the liberal would probably, I'm not a liberal, so I don't know what they think. I mean, they probably think, well, I mean, yeah, I'd rather have it. If you, if you trust government, if you're sympathetic to government, if you're forgiving of government, then you want people who have been in government a long time. They know how government works. I just think one of the most interesting points Curtis Yarvin makes is the day the outsider, the, the, the quintessential outsider gets elected is the day he should fire 35,000 bureaucrats from the federal government on day one, give them some sort of severance. It doesn't matter. We got the Fed. Who's counting? You know, what's another trillion dollars in severance pay and, um, and benefit? Just put it on the pile with the rest of that fiat currency, that make-believe counterfeit money that we're in charge of. Just, um, you know, just put another trillion over there with the other 33. Why not? Yeah, who's counting? It doesn't matter. I mean, it's probably worth it to spend a trillion bucks to fire 35,000 um, federal government workers. But that's, I mean, that, that's where we are, guys. I mean, that's, it's not e pluribus unum. I mean, it's just simply not. Um, we're, we're not out of many comes one. We are a deeply, deeply divided nation. And one of the lines of demarcation is I'm sympathetic, forgiving and understanding of government. I'm, I'm a little trusting of government. I mean, I, you know, I don't think government should be in charge of everything, but, but, but you don't want to burn government to the ground. Well, I mean, I think we're to the point now that half the country want to burn government to the ground. Remember Mark Sanford said, I want to drown government in the bathtub. That's the libertarian worldview. Uh, and it's not kind of a, it's, it's really not an anti-government stance. It's an anti-who runs government stance. It's an anti-who got in bed with government and benefited tremendously and enormously. And it's where you end up, Rev, when you allow monolith to exist. A climate change, COVID, um, you know, the debt. We're not having debates on the serious issues because everybody who controls the debate are in agreement. This is where the country needs to head. So, so liberals, by, by their own personal impulse, are going to be trusting. Well, I mean, even if there is a cathedral, Ken, I mean, what's the problem? It's government. I mean, government's got to command a certain respect. It's got to be uh, responsible for certain aspects of all of our lives. And we're over here saying, okay, dude, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm tired of talking about limited government. I admit I lost that. 
I mean, there, there's no doubt about it. If you're a limited government conservative, you've got your ass waxed for about the last three decades. So, so we're now focusing on if we can't limit the government, who's going to be in control of government? See, that's where we are. I mean, the debate is not about big government or small government. The debate today is about who's going to be in control of government. As J.D. Vance said, what you going to do? What you going to do with the levers of power when you have them in your control? And, and right now, I mean, I, you know, I hate to say this, but I'd return fire. Trump gets indicted for a non-disclosure that they're trying to say is a campaign, a violation of campaign finance law, um, misappropriating a business expense. The, the Republicans right now, as we speak, have control of a congressional investigatory committee. They have subpoenaed bank records that show the Biden family has received foreign funds in excess of $3 million, um, at least two foreign governments, Ukraine and China. What you going to do now? I mean, they came, I mean, I wish we weren't there. I wish it was E pluribus unum. I wish it was out of many come one, but that's not where we are. And you've got to accept reality. I tell my kids, you, you, you have a way you wish the world worked. I have a way I wish the world worked. The way the world works doesn't always suit my fancy. So you know what I got to do, Rev? I got to meet the world where it is. I got to meet the world under the world's accords. And Republicans who have argued for limited government need to stop arguing for limited government and argue for, I want to be in charge of government. I'm tired of the monolith, the cathedral, the insiders, the deep state, the establishment. I'm tired of those folks having full control of the most powerful beast probably in the history of mankind. Back in a minute. So Fridays are, are, are laid back, right? I mean, we, we, we have a, uh, a, a, what do we call it, a decompression hour at the end of the show. So I ate some animal protein last night. I mean, I imagine I'd get up this morning and we talk about an hour's worth of Braves and Gamecocks baseball. We talk a little bit about opening day and right. the Masters at Easter next weekend. And an indictment happens. And it changes the, um, the intensity of my approach to Friday. And I'll tell you this, Rev. Uh, I said it earlier. I'll say it again. I am not sad. I mean, I've seen tweets and emails and I've seen Facebook posts. It's a sad day in America. To me, it's a day to be angry. And I don't like to encourage anger. I mean, it's not just anger. It's uh, it's fear, fear for where the country is headed. I've been in politics. Mike Rickenbaugh is here with us. Senator Rickenbaugh is in the studio with us. Um, uh, Congressman Ralph Norman is on the phone with us. We get dirty politics. You don't like it, but you understand it's part of the, the, the craft. This is a, to me, a, an absolute unprecedented abuse of power to, to indict a former president, current front runner of the Republican primary for a non-disclosure agreement that is fairly common in the business world. It's just, it, it really, it doesn't make me sad. It makes me angry and it makes me afraid of where we're headed as a nation um, one of the influential voices in South Carolina politics is Congressman Ralph Norman. Ralph has been a friend of me for a long time. Ralph is a, a business guy who understands kind of the rough and tumbly nature of business as well as politics. And I asked Ralph to join us this morning to express his sentiments on what happened yesterday. Congressman, good morning. How are you? We're doing fine, Ken. Glad to be with you. So I'll get out of the way. The runway's yours. I mean, you're, you're pretty forceful at expressing yourself. Um, I'm I'm not that sad, but rather angry and, and nervous about where we're headed, Ralph. What say you? You know, Ken, I uh, I serve in Congress. I uh, go there pretty much every week. I see the left 
which knows no bounds. I see the left that would do anything to, to keep power. And I see the left that uh, it, it, with what they've done to President Trump is wrong. It's pathetic. It's, you know, it should be a wake-up call for every listener to your program and really for all over the nation. Um, you know, for, for them to bring this now, uh, people ask me, and I, I spoke to a large crowd last night, I said, Here, here's the good news. I mean, yes, the, the, the reality is they are trying to go after a man who did so much for this country, who they're fearful of because he's leading into polls. Um, his policies were pro-American. And what we face today is a Democratic Party that's now the Socialist Party that is trying for a complete takeover. Now, let me tell you the, what this ought to do, and you hit on it. Um, we, a lot of people are, are fearful and I'm one that says, you know, you, you can be fearful, but it's time to fight. And it, what they have done should activate everybody to make sure this election is not stolen again and make sure they get active in politics. And I mean, they have not quit with Donald Trump. I mean, look, when he first got elected, Russia hoax, look at the, the impeachment twice, Look at the raid of his home. Look at everything they've done has been because he threatens the Socialist Party that uh, they know what's coming uh, if and when he gets elected. And so it's time to go into action, uh, not violence, but it's time to go to work. And it's a uh, it's a sad day in the country, but yet it's a wake up call to what we're facing. And it, they're bringing the fight to us, Ken, uh, to our freedom is at stake. And so on one hand, I know that, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's bad to have to deal with it, but Donald Trump is a strong guy. I mean, he's somebody who gets it. He's somebody again, who loves our country and, and he's willing to fight for freedom and you will see him fight with this. And so I look on this as something as an opportunity to go to work and to rally Americans as never before. Ralph, I, I want to speak, if you don't mind. I mean, tr Trump is a manifestation to me of the frustration everyday Americans have of its government. You're you're in Rock Hill. You're in Washington. You're back and forth. Um, we A lot of us sense that there's such a disconnect inside the Beltway, that there's, you know, we're at a NASCAR race. We're, we're at a bar with a, with a buddy having a beer. We're, we're at a tailgate. We're living our lives in the most real way imaginable, and, and Washington operates in a different sphere, a different universe, a different a different set of rules and bylaws and guidelines and regulations. Is that a fair assessment? I mean, do you detect that inside the Beltway is so out of touch with what average everyday Americans are dealing with, sensing and feeling? Not only are they out of touch, it's just two different universes. I mean, I left a see what was not yesterday that the I forget the Democrat that was screaming screaming in the hallways when we got out and we took the final vote uh, on Wednesday uh, about, um, you know, get in the faces of Democrats. I mean, he was screaming. The, the Secret Service ran up because they thought there was a fight. But that's what they do. I mean, now they're bitter because they lost the House. And we're, we're passing some good legislation. And we're going to keep passing legislation that benefits American people. They want to control the American people. But, no, there's definitely a disconnect. And it's, it's uh, you know, th there is no middle ground with this crowd. I mean, there is no way to, 
you know, as people thought that in the 60s and 70s with Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill, you could get together. There's no getting together with Nancy Pelosi. There's no getting to get together with Chuck Schumer in the Senate. You've got to we've got to let our voices be heard because it's one word, freedom. And they're against it. They want power. A lot of them are just put up candidates that do the like, like the the um, brag who brought the charges against Trump. George Soros, who is a known communist, put put him up. And so that's what we're dealing with. And there's there's no sugarcoating. That's the bottom line. Now we either uh, we got two choices as uh, as Americans. We can either. Uh, just completely disarm. We can completely just say we're we're scared. We're not going to do anything, and surrender, or we can say we're going to work. And I think the American people have always met the challenge, and we're not going to let this socialist crowd take over this country. And it gets back to taking ownership in your individual uh, city and county. It gets back to get staying involved. Politics is a blood sport. I mean, you know it as well as I do. It's more of a blood sport now than I think it's ever been. But we don't just uh, suck our thumb and and get under a table. We go to work. And I think that's what you'll see from this. And I'll be honest with you. I think this will be a rally call call for Donald Trump. And I think it will, at the end of the day, help Donald Trump. Because now, if if it's, it's now or never. And I think it'll help him, and I think he'll benefit from this, even though it's hard to see now. Ralph, last question. Appreciate you joining us. Congressman Ralph Norman of Rock Hill is with us. Um, whether it's whether it's Trump, whether it's DeSantis, whether it's Nikki, whether it's Pence, it doesn't matter who it is, but, but at some point in time, we've got to understand that we're in this thing together. I mean, there's a big divide of the party. You've got the establishment wing, and then you've got Trumpism or MAGA or make them, you know, America first or whatever. We've got to agree that at the end of this primary, our our guy or our lady is our guy and our lady, and any of those people are better than whom the Democrats put up. Is that something you think is achievable? I spoke to a good number of people last night, and it's funny. I said the exact same thing you did. I endorsed Nikki Haley, and some people were, were upset about that. And I said, guys, wait a minute. The, at the end of the day, the, all that matters is winning this election in 2024. We lose the presidential election. Uh, we lose our country, pure and simple. And I said, if you don't like uh, – if any – get behind whoever you feel like can do the best job. They will have a, a open mic and now until the primary is held. And get behind whoever, any of the candidates. The great news for, for your listeners, any of the candidates. I don't care whether it's – it's Nikki, Pompeo, DeSantis. They will carry out the Trump, uh, what Trump did, because what if you look at what Donald Trump did, he did things to – he put America first. Any of the Republican candidates will put America first, and they, they all have their different style. We've got to get the independent voter. We've got to get the, you know, the far right. We've got to get all people to go to the polls because, as we've seen, Joe Biden is doing more damage to this country – and we got to correct it, but we have one shot at doing it. And you're exactly right. We will come together, and because we have to, we have no other choice. And I, that's what I'm excited about. It does disturb me. They're put that that uh, that the left is putting up a man uh, in Joe Biden who's cognitively not there, and you know he can't finish his sentence. It bothers me that they're content with him. 
uh, you know, are they going to pull some other stunt? And one of the first stunts they're pulling is trying to dismantle, uh, trying to dismantle Donald Trump, and it's not going to work. Very well explained. Congressman, thank you for your time. appreciate you joining us this morning, sir. My pleasure. Thank you. Congressman Ralph Norman. Man, we got a lot of other people, Rev, and less me today. Is that good? <laughs> I think we it's need, pretty good. We need more cowbell, right? <laughs> <laughs> we, we, need, we need more cowbell. It's I a mean, busy show. Yeah, I'm listening to people talk more than I'm talking this morning, and I guess I got to listen to Senator Rickenbar and what he has to say <laughs> about all this. M- Mike will be an interesting guy because I give a very aggressive opinion. It's my nature. Mike is more methodical. I mean, he's more mannered. He's more cerebral in his delivery. But but at times, those people are who you need to listen to the most. And I think today is one of those days that you probably need to be careful how you listen to me because I do have a very aggressive nature about me. And when I feel attacked, my natural reaction is to do what? I mean, it's to pounce back twice as hard as I've been pounced upon. Mike, I think, from what I know of him, is um is more measured in thinking through some of these issues. Mike, what do you make of what happened um yesterday? You're Republican state senator. Um, you share the same party with Trump. You share some of the visions and ideas. You have disagreements what, with the former president. What do you make of what we saw yesterday in Washington or in New York? You know, first of all, don't discount everybody's got a little pamplaconian in them, can. <laughs> I mean, when it needs to come out, you know, the, the dog will fight. No, I, I know that. <laughs> You can't survive in business if you won't. That's exactly right. And you make it through 08, 09, you become a fighter. I think this event, this indictment, will end up being perhaps the wake-up call that not just conservatives like us need. I think it'll be the wake-up call that moderates, that independents, and dare I say even some on the left will now heed to realize that you can have disagreements politically. But when a party decides to weaponize the government to dismantle their opponents, that is a road that is not a success for our country. That's a road that takes us to the levels of nations like Venezuela, like Cuba, like Banana Republic, where you can get to the point where you create a narrative that if I dismantle and destroy my opposition, I'm actually doing it for the country. I'm righteous now. It's borderline psychopathic in what it does because you begin to believe your own press. And I'm hoping this wake-up call is going to be the kind of spark that has happened in our country at previous times at different levels. That You go back hundreds of years, the Boston Tea Party. That was a spark that engaged action. You go to Pearl Harbor. That was a spark that woke up this country. Rosa Parks, that was a spark when she said, I'm not giving up the seat. The Cuban Missile Crisis, that was a spark to say we can't blink against the Russians and communism. There's different sparks, and I would never advocate violence, but I do advocate true Americans waking up and saying, this isn't okay. Even if you're a Democrat, even if you're a moderate or an independent, you wake up and you say, this isn't okay. Because if the government decides tomorrow or next year or the next decade that now I'm their enemy, they'll come after me, and they don't play fair. And, Ken, they got all the money they need to come at you. No no question about it. Somebody on the phone, let's go there. Go to call. I have Jim in Florence. You're on with Senator Rickenbach. Hey, good morning, guys. So in 2019, Alan Wilson released an opinion, and the gist of it was that, um, quote a little bit of it, Section 5-7-12 of the South Carolina Code does not authorize the assignment 
of a school resource officer to a private school. I talked to my brother last night, lives in another state. His son goes to a private Catholic school, and they have a full-time assigned deputy sheriff as SRO. Kentucky just passed a law, and I think Tennessee is about to pass a law to allow SROs in private schools. If the school is willing to pay, they should. They deserve a professional um, and assigned SRO, not a rent-a-cop or not even an ever-changing off-duty officer unfamiliar with the students. You know, we need to learn from Nashville so we don't have massacre of Christian children right here in Florence or anywhere in South Carolina, for that matter. So I was hoping more would be here this morning. But, Mike, is there a push to introduce a bill to change this law um, to allow private schools who are willing to pay now to be able to contract with cities or counties uh, so an SRO can be assigned to that private school? Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate it, Mike. Yeah, it's a great question, Jim. Let's do this. I want to take a break. I want to give Mike ample time to answer that question, but I don't want to get too far behind. Ralph Norman took some of um, some of the time. I'm obviously a, a member of Congress, has something to say about an indictment of a former president. We're going to let him on. Um, rest assured, Mike's been very willing to um, kind of acquiesce and wait uh, until we get back from uh, from that interview. But I, I want to give Mike plenty of time to answer answer that question thank you jim appreciate it we'll take a break we'll be back in just a few moments we spent a lot of the week and we'll spend the balance of the day i'm sure talking about trump and the indictment but but a lot of the conversation is centered around the school shooting in nashville um yesterday the press secretary for the president said that we need to be careful and mindful of the transgenders uh, i'm a lot more careful and mindful of those kids and their families and the parents of those kids excuse me the parents that were killed as part of the um the issue of gender dysphoria but out of that came, uh, and it's been a debate for a long time in, in America, South Carolina in particular, how do we secure schools? How do we fortify the campuses and the, and the, the venues of which kids go and educate? Are we publicly or privately educate? Uh, Jim had an interesting question about private schools and, and security. Mike, I'll get out of the way and, and kind of let you not just answer Jim's question, but opine on what you think needs to happen in relation to school security in South Carolina. Yeah, it's a great question, Jim, and, and certainly very timely. Thanks for asking it. Uh, if you were, if anybody listened to the governor's state of the state address, um, he addressed SROs, school resource officers, and yeah, he had mentioned that one of the, the biggest challenges we have right now is that the state has 100% of the funding available and ready to be paid for school resource officers, but there are not enough school resource officers available to go into the, the public schools. Uh, the challenge is that if a sheriff has 100 deputies, and right now many times they'll need 120 on the road, how do they go from 100 on the road protecting the community to 99 on a road and move one to a school and then 10 to a school and then 12 to a school? So one of the challenges is in our state right now, there's a cap on retired law enforcement. If you work, you retire through the, the PIVA, through the public, the state retirement system. When you come back out of retirement, you are capped at making $10,000 per year. And the reason they do that is, you know, obviously they don't want the retirement system to be overly burdened to where um, it runs out of funds. And, and the pension is a whole nother situation we have here, um, the unfunded pension portion. What the bill I co-sponsored with three other senators would remove that cap for law enforcement. Now, that doesn't mean that firefighters and, and EMS and, and teachers and in other areas aren't important too, but there is such a dire need 
for retired law enforcement. I mean, think about it. You went in at 20 years old. You work 20 years. You're 40. You're 45. You got a lot of life left. But are you going to come back to a job and get paid $10,000 a year max? So the bill that we co-sponsored would remove that cap. Uh, PIVA doesn't like it. Uh, some of them, the state government think that it's going to overly burden um, our pension system. Uh, my point is our state has money. And I'm, I'm not saying this isn't an issue we need to look at from a financial perspective, but when there's a risk of lives being lost and our children not being safe, um, that whole education is founded on trust. We got to be able to keep them safe. So to your point, Jim, we don't have enough SROs in the public schools. Um, there aren't enough SROs to do the public or the private, but if we remove that cap and we can help incentivize and pay reasonably our retired law enforcement officers, to come back in and be SROs. Many of them don't want to wrestle drunks down at the bar or go to domestics, but they'd gladly go in and help protect our children at our schools. Should there be any consideration given? And I said something earlier this week. I mean, it's easy for me to be the idea guy. I'm not in the Senate. I'm not in the House. I don't have to vote. I don't have to serve on a committee. I just write stuff down and say it. So it's real easy for me to do what I do. But is there any consideration that should be given to creating a special force just to keep schools safe? Outside, you got the military to keep our nation safe. You got law enforcement to keep our our citizenry safe. Safe. Should we segregate school safety into its own silo and figure out an alternate way to fund it and train people in a unique and different way? Is that something worth considering, Mike? You know, I haven't heard that as an idea. Um, I guess I'd question why the duplication. Um, right now, the, the Florence County Sheriff's Office and, and Sheriff Joy does a great, great job. He just needs more deputies. And he I talked to him two days ago. He loses deputies who retire, but then they won't come back because of that cap. $10,000, no one's going to come back for that. But if he had more deputies, he'd be able to have SROs in every school. And I like the fact that they're under the sheriff's office because there's the connectivity where they have the blueprints for the school. They know the doors. They know the teachers. They know the faculty. Oftentimes they know the parents. So when a call comes in and it's a 911 because it's an active shooter, not only do they pull up a schematic of the schools, oftentimes their kids went there. So they know the inner workings of it. I think having the funding is necessary, but I'd prefer, I think, and I'd, I'd ask the sheriff and the law enforcement experts, but I'd prefer that it be managed by the local sheriff who knows the school better. But an enhancement of funding and manpower within the SRO, let's call it a division of the sheriff's department. Now, that, that, that I think that the sheriff would, I'd love the sheriff to even call in or, or Chief Heidler talk to him about it sure. to, to know what their thoughts are. But I think if they had all the funding they need, and frankly, I think if we removed that $10,000 cap on retired law enforcement, we'd find that we'd have enough SROs in the retired force. And these are oftentimes well-seasoned officers, yeah. sheriff's deputies, the, and police officers. The, the kind you want protecting kids in a school. No yep. question about it. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Troy in Georgetown, Kentucky is on the line. Hey, you're on the air. Hey, I've uh, been listening to y'all for about three years now, uh, ever since I uh, worked in Orangeburg and ended up here in Georgetown. But uh, I just wanted to say this indictment, I think, pretty much handed Trump a victory for 24 because – a lot of people are just tired of this witch hunt. They're they're sick and tired of, you know, it's almost like the old Wiley Coyote cartoons, you know, like we got him now and nothing sticks. This isn't going to stick. And I predict that he's going to win 24 and I don't think DeSantis will get in. 
that's just my thought. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's interesting someone said that. Robert and I have been texting after he came on the show. Robert had kind of an aha moment. During the, the interview with Kahaley, he said, it kind of dawned on me. Well, I mean, I, I wrote down this morning. I got these crazy things I write down. First thing was Jerry Nadler, because Nadler said, out of his own mouth, he's a member of Congress, he said, we can't trust the American people to not vote for this guy again. <laughs> In other words, we got to do, do something to get him off the field. But, but the other thing I wrote down, DeSantis will not assist in an extradition request. I mean, that's his tweet. But then I added, he may decide not to run. I mean, I think if DeSantis looks at data next week or the week after or three weeks from now and sees that this has really turned Trump into a kind of a rallying cry or a martyr, um, you know, the abusive nature of the federal government. Once again, political dirty tricks. Mike's been involved in them. I've been involved in them. If you if you run for office, you're going to deal with it some way, somehow. But but now you've got, you know, leaving the the spectrum of, of political dirty tricks and entering this um unprecedented abuse of power. I think Trump benefits from that. I mean, I really and truly think he benefits. I mean, we'll see. The data says, uh, the data will say one way or the other. You've got people that want Trump gone, but they're condemning the indictment. I mean, that's kind of a difficult, conflicted place to be. But I go back to the Wall Street Journal and National Review um, comment section. I mean, I've quoted that a million times in 11 years of doing this job because the person subscribing to the Wall Street Journal and reading a political story, the National Review and reading a political story, that person's not watching Seinfeld every episode. I mean, they're, they're locked in a little bit to what's going on in the world. And there were more than one person who said, I didn't, I won't vote for Trump in the primary. I will vote for Trump in the general. And I've never voted for Trump before. Now, are there 10,000 people in America like that? Or 10 million people in America like that? I don't have um, any idea. But it does speak to the nature of where we are in American politics. I'm glad I host a radio show and not a member <laughs> Not a member of Congress or the Senate, whether federal or state. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. we got Senator Rickenbaugh with us. Up next is Breeze. Hi, you are on with Senator Rickenbaugh. Hey, what's up, guys? Listen, um, I'm not talking about the people that don't pay a penny. What I'm talking about, when you talk about the, what are the number one causes of bankruptcy in South Carolina is unpaid medical bills. Now, I think everybody that would agree that a person is counting on their state tax refund to help them make ends meet is not a rich person. We would agree on that, I'm sure. But the, the, the hospitals have lobbied our state legislature to get them to pass a law that says they can collect unpaid hospital bills off of these persons' tax refunds. And here again, I'm not talking about a person that hasn't paid anything. Now, if you're paying for your insurance and you're paying for it, I don't care if you work for Mike or work for you, kid, part of their their employee compensation package would be their insurance. They're working for that. They are paying for it. If, they, if you didn't have to help pay for their insurance, you could pay them more. So don't tell me that the insurance company paid. No, the insurance company didn't pay. You paid. So if you take a young person, that has $50,000, a $50,000 hospital bill, which by the way, only takes four days. He paid 80% of that, okay? This young person's maybe netting 1,600 a month. He goes to the hospital and says, what do I owe? They said, well, we'll knock a grand off, you owe $6,000. And they said, well, maybe I'll make a payment of $50. That's all I can afford, because all I make is 1,600 and I'm helping out, I'm paying my rent, I'm helping out my parents, I'm trying to save for a car. 
and the hospital says no. The minimum we'll take is eight hundred dollars. Well, that's half of that person's pay. So then the person can't afford to pay that eight hundred dollars. So then he's trying to save up money, maybe to buy a car, so his mother doesn't have to drive him to work. And then he's counting on his tax refund. But then the, the state, through through being lobbied by these hospitals, says, "Well, why don't you just go ahead and steal that kid's money through a tax refund?" And he does it. So then the kid's still stuck without a car. No way for him to go up because every time he's counting on his tax refund, you talk about a kid that's making less than twenty grand a year, the government. Along with the along with the hospitals, still is that going on tax refund? Now you know again, I'm talking about people. If the their hospitals make their bills, I guarantee you the 80 percent that that boy paid for his uh, hospital bill, they made their profit. If they got a forty-two thousand dollar check for four days, they made their profit, and then they want to go ahead and get another seven thousand from this kid that's only making sixteen hundred dollars. That's a bunch of crap. Thank you, Breeze. 843-661-0937. You want to address that? I mean, anything the Senate can do in regards to um, the collection of medical bills? Yeah. First of all, Breeze, I'm I'm sorry for that situation. That is tragic, and I can understand how it leads uh, to real financial ruin. Um, When you're taking over half of someone's check, and then you you, you look at their their tax refund. I I haven't seen the bill yet. I haven't heard of it coming. I don't know if it's stuck in a committee somewhere, if it's in the House. Um, I would say that as hard as times are for people, um, there would be very, very little of any appetite for something like that. So oftentimes bills, and I've, been, I've only been in there a year, so I'm still learning the process, sure. but oftentimes bills, as you know, can can get um, can get written and get filed, but they never see the light of day. They never make it out of even out of a drawer or to get to a subcommittee or a committee. I've not heard anything about that. Have you? No, but, but one thing, and, and I think let's talk in generalities because this is something I know you'll answer candidly, and it's a hard answer. I mean, it, it really is because there's not, there's not an easy answer to this question. Your job is to represent the people of District 31. 31. I mean, that's, that's your job. Essentially, they sent you there as their representation of our state government. But when you get to Columbia, you don't rub shoulders or bump into your constituency. I mean, the lobby's full of lobbyists. There's a reason they're called lobbyists. Now, but they're in the lobby waiting on members of the Senate or, or the House to walk out so they can plead their case, that they can make their argument. That's a complicated situation for an elected official to be in. You're, you're new at this. You just said you're, you're new at this. How do you struggle with, with, with what the, the lobbyists want done and whether or not it's in the best interest of the people who send you to Columbia? Yeah, well, that's a good question. And I'm sure there's There'll be better ways to, to figure out how to do it. I think what has worked so far very well is that don't insulate yourself from the people who voted for you. Um, today, when I leave your show here in 15 minutes, I head to Pamplico where I'm going to the schools to talk to the teachers and the students. And from there, I go to Johnsonville to talk to some folks there. I have lunch today with folks here in Florence. Never forget that the lobbyists, the organizations, the PACs, They aren't the ones that we're there to represent. We represent the voters of District 31. And Sharice and I, when we do our 10-tour listening tours, 10-city listening tours, it isn't convenient. It isn't easy. But to start off in the south end of the county and work our way up and to do that every quarter and to sit down at a restaurant and say, I'm not going to talk. I'm going to listen. I'll answer questions. Tell me what's on your mind. And to do that over and over is the best way for us to hear from people but then even having an open door policy in Columbia. I love the fact that so many people are feel comfortable when they're in Columbia 
They'll call my office and they'll say, could I have a half hour with the senator? Absolutely. And if that means, Ken, that I have to miss a meeting at a committee or even miss talking to a lobbyist, I'm there for the to represent District 31. So I'd say any advice I'd give any even neophyte or aspiring politician, don't forget why we're there. But you do sense the system can chew you up if you're not careful. I mean, you got to be real aware of that ebb and flow, that yin and yang, that, that, that you know, the, the tugging of the, of the rope between those who have amassed a tremendous amount of influence and, and those you are there um, as a constituent representative. I mean, that, that's, that's a struggle. And yeah. I, re- I respect the, uh, the willingness to answer that question because it's not easy. I mean, trust me, guys, it's not easy. And I think that's why Mike Advocates, I don't want to speak for him, but I think the, the, the advocated for term limits. You know, because someone gets so, I don't want to say tainted, that's unfair, so um, influenced by, by the faces you see every, and I'm, they're not bad people. Nope. I mean, you, you know our suggesting they're bad people. They're paid to do a job, and their job is to get government to work on their behalf. Mm-hmm. I mean, the government guaranteed the, 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 the uh, First Amendment, the right to petition your government. I mean, you, you have that right. So, so when, when, when business sends a lobbyist to Washington, or Columbia to do a job, they're not breaking the law. And and Mike Rickenbaugh has to decide, okay, does the interest of this business enterprise or this sector of the economy align or not with the people who gave me the the uh, the privilege mm-hmm. of going to Columbia and represent their their behalf? Um, I, think, I think so many times I've had to have the conversation with lobbyists that what I'll do is listen. But when they say, would you support this or would you sign on to this? No, I can't do that yet. I can read it and I can listen to you, but I have to ask myself the question, is it good for my people? And if I can't answer that question with a yes, then I'm sorry. You've got conflicting views with what I'm there for. Well, explain. Take a break. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. 843-661-0937. We're going to make Senator Rickenbot late, but he's going to Pamplico. So I'll give him the, um, <laughs> I'll have the deputy sheriff's waiting on him <laughs> at, the, uh, at the town line or, or the city limit line. And he can make his way nice. through that. Smoke the bandit, baby. Well, I, I love the bandit. Well, I'm going to tell you, in Pamplico, you got to be careful with the traffic. And it's not how many, it's what. And I'm talking about combines and, <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and backhoes and other things you'll find on the road in rural South Carolina. Let's go to the phone. Someone may have a call or question for Mike Rickenbaugh. Yep. Renee in Lake City, you're on with Senator Rickenbaugh. Good morning, Senator. Good morning, Renee. Um, I had called in probably about a month ago and um, kind of brought up the same thing that you were just talking about with the um, – school resource officers and retired law enforcement in general coming back to work. Yes. Um, So right now I am kind of in that predicament. I've got 27 years in law enforcement and I was out of work for 14 months. And the law, according to PIVA, says that you have to be out for 12 consecutive months. Well, I was out for 14 and I went back to work. And according to PIBA, they said it has to be subsequent after your retirement date. So they pick the retirement date because they retroactivate the date. I'm nine days short. So now I am, (laughs) I was out for 14 months, but according to them, I'm nine days short of 12 months. Um, so now, you know, I am trying to get them to work on that. And, um, I've actually spoke with representative Gillum, um, on seeing about removing that word subsequent or after retirement. 
I'm not sure. I guess 12 months would be because they want you out of the system for 12 months consecutive, but I was out for 14. Um, but they won't consider that because it's not after the date that they have down for retirement. Um, you know, our state is really messed up when it comes to law enforcement. Um, and it, the the thing is, is that PIVA goes by state. You know, um, your state teachers, your state highway department. Well, what about us county and city officers? It's different. It's different for us because we can call PIVA and we can say, I'm going to retire. I need health insurance. And they'll say, okay, you just got to be in for five years. Then when you go and retire, you find out, oh, no, you have to work for the county for 15 years. And, you know, we'll pay a portion of it. So it's different. You know, every city and county is different with their rules on insurance. And we even do have some cities that don't even don't even contribute and use the um, state um, PIVA insurance. I know Lake City doesn't offer it at all. Hey, I don't want to cut you off. We only got about a minute and a half, and I want Mike to have a chance to answer the question. I'm sorry, we got a hard break. Mike, have at it. Yeah, well, thank you for that, Raymond. We did talk. Um, my bill actually did two things. It removed the $10,000 salary cap on retired law enforcement, but it also changed the separation time from the year down to 90 days. After talking to Sheriff Joy, Chief Heidler, Chief McFadden over in Timmonsville, several law enforcement officer leaders, that year out, while I know PIBA wants that, it's tough to explain to somebody, take a year away and then come back in. 90 days was a compromise that, okay, PIBA, you want them to be separated for a certain amount of time. Um, we'll give them 90 days, but we don't want them to get too far out of the mindset of law enforcement because we need SROs. So keep fighting, Renee. We need people like you to get back in. Thank you, sir. Appreciate that, Senator Rick and Bob. We got uh, about 20 seconds here. I'm sorry. I uh, just want to make sure you had ample time to answer that question. Hey, a lot kicking, a lot going on. I don't like cutting people off. It ain't Southern. Those Northern <laughs> aggressors along the coast wouldn't have any problem doing it, but but I do. Um, thank you, Mike. Good to see you. Yeah, I was going to say, folks, if you have insight, comments, call me, text me, email me. I'm here for you. Good deal. Back in a few. Takes Mondays to make Fridays, 843-661-0937. It's a two Celsius kind of morning. It's, it's yeah. normally a one Celsius morning. This morning is a two Celsius um, kind of morning. Live water, coffee, Celsius. We got everything going on this morning. Kahaley woke me up at 355 this morning. But in all honesty, I was already up. Uh, I just knew this was going to be a, a pretty intense effort at Talk Radio. We've done a lot of things. Ask and ye shall receive, I guess, is the mantra of Wake Up Carolina. Someone asked a, a second ago about the uh, law enforcement and how we could better keep our school safety. Um, somebody who is just absolutely committed to providing quality law enforcement. And I ain't brown nosing because I'm not looking for a job in law enforcement, but I'm serious, man. I was honored and privileged to support this guy when he ran for sheriff. I am very excited about what he's doing. I know how committed he is to keeping our citizenry safe. And Sheriff TJ Joy is with us. TJ, good morning. How are you, sir? I am great. I'm headed to Columbia. Got four graduated, so I'm a happy camper today. Good deal. TJ, some of the conversation this morning around school safety was how hard it is for you to find manpower. Elaborate, if you don't mind, on that difficulty. Well, and I want to say first that the senator, he is 
and Jay Jordan and Philip Lowe, they, they're great supporters of our uh, journey, if you will. It, it, it's tough for someone wanting, they work their whole life, 25, 30 years, and then they want to retire to get a little bit of extra income. They would stay where they are, but we're losing good people in these schools when they retire. It's a, it's a ten thousand dollars is all they can draw out of their retirement, as you well know. But it's it's very tough. And listen, to be honest with you, when they stay out a year, they don't want to come back. They have the element of of, of the kids misbehaving, the parents always in the air, the superintendents in, in Florence County, and and I'll have to say one of my favorites, Dr. O'Malley. To be honest with you, it, he's very. Um, gun ho at trying to protect the, and he does protect these kids and, and we talk a good bit about some different I lose a lot of sleep over this guys I mean it you know it can happen it, it, it's a matter of when it happens it's going to happen here and I know people say why would you say it, it the times that we live in it's going to happen but I, I want a school resource officer in every school the deterrent is the year cap, I mean the $10,000 cap, and also the uh, staying out, and, and $10,000, that's ludicrous. And PIVA, PIVA, that's all I hear. PIVA, PIVA, they made it. Listen, they need to open their eyes and realize we're not getting law enforcement. Everybody's saying we want to help. But the, the problem is that, that that's not helping us at all. TJ, how can we lean on our elected officials to make sure? Because the last thing we want, and I understand what you're saying, but it, it is going to happen again. But there, there's no doubt about it. As hard as we try to keep kids safe, there's always going to be tragedy and heartbreak in the world. Um, we hope it happens here later than sooner. But but when it comes to you being fully staffed, you having quality, competent law enforcement personnel in every school, you, you're telling our listeners, and, and I know what you're talking that's kind of in the politicians' hands right now. You need some political relief to allow you to make sure you can execute your plan. How can we convince our elected officials how important this is, uh, Sheriff? It's very important, but I, I will say this. Uh, Senator Rickenbach and, and Jay Jordan and Philip Lowe, they're, they're in our corners, and a lot of other representatives and senators. Um, and, and like I say, this, I've heard people, people, people. Somebody's got to get in their ear. I don't know who's over people. We'll probably find Jimmy Hoffa before we find out who, who can control them. But it, it needs to be done. We've got to, this is urgent. This this is this is serious, serious. You know, governor, the governor said, you know, he wants to try to put a school. We need this. But the only journey, you know, I've got a lot of young deputies that are coming on, and we've hired a good many. And, and they don't want to be in the schools. They want to be out here on the street. Thank God they, they want to do that. But we have got to open our eyes. And, and again, Thomas, uh, Chief McFadden, Chief Hyler, myself, and Senator Rick, we've been in communication uh, contact trying to get this done. Um, and I'm praying that, look, I've got, I think, Roma Florida, i got two that's retiring now. They can't come back into the system for a year. I got two more slots getting ready to be available. TJ, we appreciate all you do. I do want to ask you this before I get you off the air. We're talking about school security or school safety by what happened, but I want to congratulate you on the drug interdiction efforts. Explain to our listeners why that's so important to you. Well, it's, it's 
a menace to society. It's killing kids, adults, just fentanyl, and uh, we've added more narcotic agents to the bureau and working it hard. And street crime unit worked the last two days all over Florence that Chief Hyler and myself kicked off in August. But it, it it's very important. You know, we've had a lot of deaths from this stuff, and it, it's you know we were averaging at one point. Um, for overdoses a day, we had one one person overdose three times in a day. So it's it's an epidemic. It's awful. But at the end of the day, I'm accountable. Can I stop it? I don't think I can stop it. I know I can't stop it totally, but we I'm gonna make the life hell. Spoken like a sheriff supposed to speak. TJ, <laughs> thank you for your time, my man. Appreciate you calling I appreciate in. Appreciate y'all. Yes, sir. Thank you, Senator. Appreciate you. Sheriff, Sheriff T.J. Joy is um, calling in. It's kind of been a cool show. I mean, when you think about it, we've had a lot of – now, it's been less of me, and you probably like that. Um, <laughs> it's been a lot of it's other people giving their opinions and perspective. It has been busy. Uh, and, and I knew this would be – I'll tell you guys, I mean, this is a privilege to speak to you, and I mean that sincerely. Um, but, but at times, it's a little bit therapeutic for me. It's a little bit cathartic for me. Today's been one of those days. Uh, when I saw the news come down – late yesterday afternoon about the indictment of Trump. It just I mean, it, it, it felt weird. I mean, it felt different. It felt um, like I don't want to feel again. I mean, I know I will, but but it's kind of a, um, it's a sink into the heart, and it's not because I'm sad. I mean, I'm really and truly not sad. Um, Trump is not a sympathetic figure. I mean, he's just not. I mean, when you see Donald Trump, you don't see meek, mild sympathy. Um, you know, uh, you see someone who represents or, or is a manifestation of, you know, where where we are as a nation. And and I still go back. I mean, I don't say many things that you should remember. But, but the one thing I've said that I think we should all ponder, maybe I'm right, maybe I'm wrong, Jeff. Um, but, but the one thing that, that, that I sincerely believe is when Donald Trump got elected in 2016, those that have had the privilege of controlling our government had to look in a mirror for a moment or two. And in some rare example of introspection, admit to themselves that something was wrong if America felt that the ultimate political outsider should have the opportunity and honor of being our president. I mean, I'm not saying, I mean, I think Trump was a damn good president. I mean, I agree with most of his policies. But, but to, to come from where he was, to bring all that baggage with him, to bring all those human imperfections and frailties with him. And no political experience, no having political not experience. run for before. And once again, we knew how imperfect he was. Nobody's surprised about affairs and, and business dealings. I mean, when somebody throws that up in my face, I'm like, well, of course. I mean, no, no, nobody believed Trump was the embodiment of integrity or ethics. And I'm not saying that disparagingly. He's a man. Um, guess what, men? Um, you don't like to admit what you're cap- uh, capable of. Um, give a man a private jet and a couple of billion bucks and get back with me. Okay. Right. I mean, am I touching a nerve now? I would never do that. Okay. Give, give a man a private jet, a couple of billion bucks and check back with me and tell me how, um, fidelity's feeling at that moment in time. It's a little bit like my wife shows me a picture of Keith Richards. Why? And, and she's, <laughs> and the look on her face was funny to me. She said, um, she said, um, this is Keith Richards wife. And I said, yep, she's pretty. And young. And she's like, really? Have you seen him? I said, Tammy, he's the lead singer. I'm um, excuse me, the lead guitarist for the Rolling Stones. 
I mean, he's a rock and roll god. I mean, of course he's going to have a a supermodel, younger-looking looking wife. Well, I mean, Trump would would share some of those similarities and characteristics, right? I mean, I don't want to accuse him of gold digging, but anyway, you know how you know how some of that works out, right, Rev? Yep. Okay. I've seen. So 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 when people asked, how would you vote for that guy? I mean, to know that he's done all those things, he's got all that baggage, all that you know, um, uh, nuance in his life. How in the world? Well, he wasn't like them. You know, what you're asking me to do is make a decision between what is and what might be. And America chose what might be. But what is, and I'm talking about the establishment, the cathedral, as Curtis Yarvin referred, they never were introspective, Rev. They never looked in the mirror the next day and said, hey, we must really suck for America to turn to that very imperfect vessel of change. But, but instead, they doubled down. They tripled down. They quadrupled down. They did everything they could to destroy and dismantle and disparage what he was trying to do. And he decides to run again in 2020, and the beat goes on. And now, for the first time in American history, a former president is indicted, not on murder, not, not, not on, on manslaughter, not, not on reckless homicide, not, not on um, the fourth offense of DUI, not, not on anything but a woman agreeing to keep her mouth shut about an affair they may or may not have had, the execution of a non-disclosure, and the maybe the improper uh, registering of that expense. I mean, you know, I mean, maybe he did it, maybe he didn't. I guess the indictment will accuse him of that, and we'll find it in a trial whether he did or not. But really? I mean, is that where we are? I mean, Hillary Clinton has kept, and we know this because Comey said she broke the law. Did Hillary Clinton break the law? Yes. Was she indicted? No. Stop with the MSNBC storylines. Stop with the CNN storyline. Did Hillary Clinton break the law? Did she or did she not have classified information on a personal server? Yes. Is that against the law? Yes. Was she indicted? No. But Trump enters into a non-disclosure with an adult film star about an affair they may or may not have ever had, and he is indicted of one of the flimsiest charges I've ever seen, and it's not a political dirty trick. I'm tired of people saying this is politics. No, this is an unprecedented abuse of power. And, and we all have to admit that one of the most threatening and dangerous and intimidating parts of our government is its ability to apply justice. And if justice is not going to be applied equally, then we should all not be sad, but, but rather afraid and angry. And that's the point that I've tried to get across this morning. And I guess if we're naming the show, you ready again, Rev? Mm-hmm. E pluribus unum my ass. That's the name <laughs> of this show. Let's go to the phone. Joe in Hartsville. Hello. Yeah, good morning. Uh, we have callers that call all early morning, mid-morning, late morning. And, you know, they have good points and other points, but some people are opportunistic. And I, you know, I'm not mentioning anyone in particular, but they're useful idiots. The uh, <laughs> reason I wanted to talk to Mike this morning was, you know, remember after Uvalde, our wonderful Congress 
passed the Bipartisan Secure Safer Communities Act, which would be a one-time disbursement of billions of dollars for all the schools to harden their facilities. Well, from what I'm reading, all these states, especially red states, are having trouble accessing that money. So you got all this money floating around out here, and they're finding out it's going to all these NGOs. Well, uh, the dude from Veritas has started another company, James O'Keefe, and he's finding out that there are a bunch of Democrat older people that are donating like 35,000 times in a year, like 200 to $280,000 to act blue. And he's going out to these houses and talking to these people, and they're saying, no, I, I might give $20, you know, two or three times a year, but 35000 No way. So there's all this money going to all these NGOs is being laundered through Act Blue by using, and they always talk about how many individual donors they have. So they're starting to find out this money's being, so we're being set up. And, I, you know, this, this thing with Trump is, is a big distraction. Something's coming. I mean, I feel it. But, I wanted to tell Mike this morning that he gives me faith in our system because he understands. He he knows, you know, he, he gets it. And, I, and I'm so glad he's there, and we need a thousand more like him. But the American people, I think they they understand now and I believe the Democrats just reelected Donald Trump in 2024. Y'all have a good one. Thank you, Joe. 843-661-0937 is our number. Let's go to the phone. Someone's there. Mike in Darlington. Good morning. Hey, uh, this is a fantastic uh, show. I'm not really crazy about the events that it's based on, but uh, they, uh, Mike has done an excellent job, and I wish I could vote for him, but I can't. So... Uh, He's in another district, but uh, that that aside, I want to hear what the Republican Party is doing to get themselves mobilized in these uh, lavender or purple states where we might have a chance to win. Because I'm scared to death if uh, if we don't get control of this government uh, this coming election, we may not get another chance with them doing crazy stuff like this. Because they're basically trying indicting Trump on a clerical error. That uh, and, and the statute of limitations is run out on it. Uh, it's just beyond me how uh, I'm, I'm not an attorney, but uh, I have uh, nephews that are attorneys, and they say that's just wacko, and they're not necessarily uh, rightist leaning people. So. Uh, that's all all I got to say. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate the call. In closing of this segment, I'll say this. I mean, you know, I get the argument. I mean, if you're on the left and you find Trump disgusting and, and, you know, indecent and unacceptable, then you think this is the right thing to do. Doesn't matter if it's flimsy or not. We got to get that guy. We got to get him out of here. 
I mean, he, he's the um, he's the bad apple. He's going to spoil all the other apples if we don't rid of him. But but to suggest this is not politically motivated, I mean, you're just being dishonest. Either you're incredibly naive and oblivious to reality, or you're just fundamentally dishonest. But because Jerry Nadler says, as a Democrat member of Congress, and I'll quote verbatim, we can't trust the American people to not elect him again. I mean, it just just wow. stew on that for a second, and. The um the racist att- uh, district attorney in New York said that, you know, give me a chance and I'll go after Trump. I mean, give me this job. I want this job. I want this job so I can prove to people, forget forget violent offenders because he won't send us leniency for that. But give me this job. Soros is giving me the money. Give me this opportunity and I'll go after Donald Trump. He said that in open forum. But this is an equal application of justice. Okay, whatever. Take a break. Back in a few. 843-661-0937. I guess the music means we're having trivia. Um, Yeah. Okay, I got a question. Yesterday was opening day, right? Now, now the correct answer wins a six-pack of Pepsi product. A couple of takes Mondays to make Friday's T-shirt. It's not like Miracle. What's the thing that changed your life forever? Um, the, the, oh, Relief Factor? Yeah, Relief Factor. Apparently, I'm the only radio show host in America that is not in chronic pain. Correct? <laughs> yeah, you'd think I'm, so. I'm the only radio show Watch host in TV. America. Hey, fellow radio show host, meet me at the gym at 1030. You want to take that damn Relief Factor <laughs> every second of every day to get your life back. Um, get in shape. Start Stop eating barbecue and eat some fried chicken <laughs> or, or, excuse me, some grilled chicken <laughs> or grilled fish. So, so here's the question. Once again, this has been a double celsius morning sparkling grape rush not non-carbonated i might add so um i am ready after the show to do my thing got my life water got my diet pepsi got everything squared away so pepsi flour is a big part of our show big part of our effort here um i don't know why but they are so here's a question to win them all you got to win the first one the atlanta braves won their first game yesterday they've got 161 more games what is the most wins ever in a regular season for the Atlanta Braves? The most wins ever. Google it. I know you're Googling it. What are the most wins ever? I'm doing this for Rev. He's a big Braves fan. Yeah. I'd rather ask a Gamecock trivia question <laughs> about the 7-0 in the SEC Gamecocks. But but out of respect to the Rev, oh, thank you. I, I'm going to ask that question. The, the most regular season wins ever by an Atlanta Braves team is... Eight four three six six one zero nine three seven is the number. We got a caller. Hi, you're on the air. You know the answer? Is it one hundred six? Yep, one hundred six in nineteen ninety eight. They actually lost in the National League Championship Series uh, in nineteen ninety eight. Who is this and where are you calling from? That's Robin from Florence. Okay, my man. Thank you for listening. Thank you for holding on. Uh, we'll get you back to Rev. He'll get your pertinent information, and um, and we'll make sure we get you your. Your Pepsi product. We're not giving away Celsius. I'm drinking all the Celsius. I noticed. You can get some Pepsi product, uh, but not Celsius because it's rare. It's hard to get your hands on. In fact, I got a stash somewhere here (laughs) that I'm not telling anybody. When they make their delivery, I hide about half of the uh, stash 
Uh, only Sherry knows where it is because she's helped me secure a location. Okay. Yeah. No, you don't yeah, say. Yeah. Well, see, now yeah. there's a challenge. Man, I'm going to have right. to go take a look. Well, I mean, you, you know the story. Like, a couple of weeks ago, I hid it in the cooler. Yep. And somebody got my damn sales. So I had, yeah, I got real upset about I, that. I found the empty can in a, in the trash yeah, can down you in, look. in one of the other studios in, in down the hall. The other, in one of the other studios. To, to remain nameless at this so, point so, not, is not the point blame. One of the other talents. Rob my stash of, um, of Celsius. <laughs> That's, right. That's, That's what right. happened in one of the other. Yeah, but 1998, the Atlanta Braves won okay. 106 games. Appreciate That's the, the most question. in franchise history. Um, I mean, I think the Braves have a good team this year. I, I worry about replacing Dansby Swanson. Right. I mean, Dansby is a... I mean, what would you call him, Rev? I mean, he's just a guy that's there every time. I mean, every game he's there. Seems like the bigger the moment, the better he plays. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, a middle infielder who plays that kind of defense and provides that kind of offense is, um. I mean, you understand what Dansby did. And to be honest, you kind of understand what the Braves did, right? Yeah, of I mean, course, the, a business. It, you know, it's a business decision. It's not, hey, the Braves didn't wake up one day and say, man, that Swanson guy sucks. <laughs> Let, let's get rid of him. And Swanson didn't wake up and say, man, Atlanta sucks. I mean, I really want to get out of here, but you know, the business realities of a major league baseball come into play and the Braves probably had X number of dollars allocated for that position, that roster spot. The Cubs had a little more uh, runway with, with what they could do there. So the next thing you know, one of the best shortstops in baseball is not with the Braves any longer. Now I believe they're a lesser team because Swanson's not there. I think the Braves have a chance to compete. But I think the Phillies and maybe even the Mets. Now, the Mets had some changes as well. Um, but I think the Mets and Phillies may be a clear. I think the Phillies are the best team in that division. But, you know, the Braves were the best team last year and didn't win right. in a playoff. It's kind of, it's kind of interesting. The, 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 um, the weirdness of baseball. I mean, if it's weird, the weirdness of baseball is the Braves won 106 games in 1998 and they lose to the Padres in a series. It would be hard to argue that you decide the best team in seven games or do you decide the best team in 162 games. I mean, it's pretty – we decide the best team in 162 games, but that ain't the way uh, the water always flows. 843-661-0937 is our number of a caller. Uh, we do. Let's go there. It's David in the PD. Good morning. Yeah, Ken, how you doing, my man? Uh, I was thinking, you, I, I'm going to call it Rick Ocasek Rev. Uh, you were talking about uh, rock stars marrying supermodels. It stands so to reason. There, there's, a good, there's a good example, uh, Rick Ocasek. Uh, 25 and 2, man, I was going to ask you, did Coach Range or Coach Tanner ever get to that level? No, nobody, I mean, it's, it's the, yesterday, excuse me, the 26-game record was the best start they've ever had. So obviously winning last night in Starkville, 25-2, and two, is, is certainly the best start. They've never been 7-0 and in the SEC. As good as they were in that Tanner run, they never started out 7-0. Now, David, you know this. The baseball gods will smile on you, and then they'll frown on you. And I'm sure at some point this season, um, the, the you know, the Gamecocks will the, – the ball won't bounce their way for a week or two or three. Well, I was going to say, I love that uniform they had on last night. Uh, that's a professional-looking uniform, man. They wore that thing back in 2010 and 2011. I hadn't seen it for a little while. But uh, and Will Clark and what was the guy that uh, – Raphael, whatever. Mississippi State's got a good program, man. But I'll give you a good trivia answer here to something. Uh, you know, every major league baseball team is in a Democrat county. 
And I'm gonna I'm gonna add Toronto to that because I imagine if Toronto was United States, they would vote Democrat. But anything that when I hear about Kahaley and a Trump, I always think about just getting down to the microcosms of this. And there's about 12 counties that really just get. I mean, they they control our destiny. And I'm thinking about Maricopa County. Uh, that would have been in last county that a, a, a MLB team voted Republican uh, with the Diamondbacks. And you think about the five Atlanta counties. You think them. I think there's three counties outside of Philadelphia that control a lot of stuff. And they, I mean, they voted for that Fetterman guy. So they vote for anybody. But but you get to Michigan with Wayne County. I think uh, Wisconsin's got. Milwaukee and Dane County, but it's amazing how we can talk about all these things, but we need guys like uh, Robert, because Robert's a USC grand, but he needs to dig into those counties to find out what's going on, because it's sad that there's about 12 counties that control our destiny, and y'all have a great weekend, Ken. Thank you, David. Appreciate that. Red's going to laugh when I say this. He's talking about the great in- – Mississippi State had a baseball team one year with Raphael Palmero. um, uh, Will Clark and Bobby Thigpen on the same college baseball team. Palmero, Will Clark, and Bobby Thigpen, who was a dominant closer for the White Sox back in the day. Pretty good college team, as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> you know, it, 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 we're, the Gamecocks, I don't want to turn this into a Gamecock love fest, um, but we're having a decent run right now. Yeah. <laughs> it, it was a struggle but for us. You for better years. while you got the yeah, opportunity. Yeah, I mean, you got right? the women's basketball playing tonight. We know how important that is. In the grand scheme of things, you can have football wins. I'd rather have women basketball championships. I say tongue firmly planted in cheek uh, with a high degree of sarcasm. But but the Gamecock baseball program, I mean, I think any neutral observer would have to agree. I mean, it's a blue blood. I mean, it, you know, Gamecock baseball is a blue blood without question. And I look back at the uh, at the eras. You've got the June Reigns era. Well, you got the Bobby Richardson era and then the June Reigns era and then the uh, the Ray Tanner era. And then you had Holbrook and, uh, you know, didn't think this guy was going to work out or not. But apparently, Monty Lee gets there and there's a, a dramatic improvement. But um, I was thinking about the best player of the June Reigns era. The best player of the, you know, the, um, I'm excuse me, the Bobby Richardson era. The best player of the June Reigns era. The best player of the Ray Tanner era. That'd be kind of an interesting debate for Gamecock fans to have amongst themselves. Clemson fans aren't interested in that. Um, but, but Gamecock fans probably would be. So here's my challenge. Who is the best baseball player of the Bobby Richardson era? Who's the best baseball player of the June Reigns era? Who's the best baseball player of the Ray Tanner era? And if they, you know, if, if this holds and they end up having a real good year and maybe host a regional, super regional, make it back to Omaha, this could be the beginning of the next era of, um, of Gamecock. The Gamecocks are not blue bloods in much of anything. They're certainly not a blue blood in, um, in college football. Is Clemson a blue blood in college football? Won a couple of national championships. You could argue. That gets them on the doorstep. I mean, if they're not, they're on the doorstep. Um, neither is in basketball. I mean, they've been kind of also rans in college basketball for a long time. College baseball, they've both been extremely successful. I mean, both have had real, real, real good baseball programs. Uh, you got the, uh, I think the Tigers are good in women's softball. And we know the Gamecocks are good in women's in women's basketball. So, you know. Think what, it's worth uh, making, since we're talking about Gamecock baseball for this weekend, we have a programming note again because of March Madness on our sister station in Florence on the ESPN station. So the March Madness Final Four broadcasts are tomorrow 
uh, on the ESPN station starting at 4.30, which means there's a conflict with tomorrow game, tomorrow's game only as far as this weekend's uh, Gamecock baseball series. So that game will be heard on 95.3. Carolina baseball will be on 95.3 tomorrow at 2.45. The Final Four programming will start at 4.30 on 96.3 in the PD area. And then after that, there's no more conflicts. You mean to tell me you're not covering the Gamecock women's basketball game tonight? The uh, Final Four game uh, tonight? We're, we're not. The uh, The network has the, the baseball game on. Are you a sexist? I am not. Are you a chauvinist? <laughs> I am not. Are you a misogynist? <laughs> I am not. Of course you are. <laughs> okay. So you're going to play the Braves men playing baseball. Right. The Gamecock men playing baseball. The Final Four men playing baseball. Explain yourself, sir. That's what we're carrying. I'll find a district attorney. Oh, here we go. And arrest in Man- Manhattan. And, no, I'll find one. I mean, those will be easy to find. I mean, right. that, you know, I that, hear you. That, that, that toxic masculinity has to be dealt with aggressively. I hear you. Okay. We're carrying the Gamecock uh, radio network, and they're providing the baseball game tonight. No, so no, there's, your cop out. Yeah. There, there's your cop-out. There's your cop-out. It's what's available. The, the men's baseball game will be on at what time, Rev? Uh, tonight, I think it's 645. Okay. Yeah, 6.45. Uh, but the women's basketball game, I guess, will be on Lifetime, if you want to watch <laughs> If you want to watch that, 843-661093. Is there a phone call? Let's go there. Uh, Tim in Florence. Hello, Tim. Hey, Dave. Hey, Ken. What's going on, guys? Hey, Tim. How are you? Good. Happy Friday to you. Same to you, sir. All right. So uh, I'm not a college baseball guy, and I certainly uh, will not be watching the women's uh, Gamecock women's basketball. will not be doing that, or Lifetime, either one. I won't be watching. But you mentioned the Braves, so I had to chime in on that. I do tend to agree with you, Ken. Uh, losing Dansby is going to hurt just because he's he's been real consistent. So you've had stability and consistency. He started off real slow last year, about the first month. But, you know, he kind of always does that, and then you can count on him. But I think I think bigger than losing Dansby – the, the, the move that they made that nobody's really talking about is that th- there was that three-team trade where they traded away William Contreras, and in return they got Sean Murphy from the A's. Now, Sean Murphy's established. He's an all-star catcher and all that. But if you go back and look last year, William Contreras was huge, both as a designated hitter and as a catcher when he spelled uh, Darno. So I say keep an eye on that and losing Contreras. Um, I think that that's going to be a pretty big deal. I think Vaughn Grissom uh, can – he's unproven still, I think. I think he can get up to Dansby's level. But just watch watch that William Contreras piece. That's interesting. Uh, Rev and I are shaking ahead at one another. We agree. Thank you for the call. Yeah. Appreciate it. Kind of a little braze insight there. And now Darno was what designated hitter yesterday, and he killed it. Yeah, and, and but Contreras seemed like – yeah, I, in the I'll big moments, him. I liked him. But he got a hit. I, I'll, I'll share a real quick story. Then we will get out of here. And I never played it anywhere near like Dansby. But I played third base until I became a senior, and our shortstop was just better than I was. I mean, I was at third. Our shortstop was better than I went off to play college baseball and and excelled till he hurt his knee. But uh, but I played third, freshman, sophomore, junior. And when when the when our senior graduated, he was a year older than I was. They moved me to short. And I remember how much harder it was to play shortstop than third base. The cutoff, uh, do you have the bag? Do I have the bag? I mean, it was just like, it was Grand Central Station. And I can remember going like, damn, I'd rather play third. I don't want any part of this. Over there, I had to worry about hitting. You know what I mean? Every now and then, the ball would get hit at you. But, I mean, you're talking about double plays. You're talking about covering the bag. You're talking about kind of quarterback in the the cutoff throws. And 
And Dansby just did so many things that you take for granted, especially if you've ever, I mean, very few have played that position at that level. I mean, Dansby's in rare air. He's a major league shortstop. He's one of the better shortstops in all of major league baseball. Braves fans know that. Cubs fans will find that out. I mean, he is a day-in, day-out gamer. I mean, the bigger the moment, the better Dansby is, whether it's defense, whether it's offense, whether it's the little things. But but I still go back to the realities of the first, second base responsibilities, corner outfield. But that, that second baseman, shortstop, center fielder, catcher, I mean, they, they famously said, Reb, you build your team in the middle. I mean, you can find loggerheads to play first to hit at 600. I mean, Jose Canseco proved that. I mean, he ball hit him in the head, bounced over the fence. And the guy stayed in the major leagues because he could hit. But but when you get to pitching, catching, second base, shortstop, center field, it's just, a, I mean, it's a different animal. It's, it's, a, it's a higher level of, of talent required, um, you know, just, just the baseball acumen yeah, you have to have to play that position at a high level. And, I, you know, I don't know what lies in store for the Braves. I think they'll have – I mean, they probably got somebody they consider to be a defensive specialist. I think the shortstop batted not yesterday. So, I mean, that tells me he's a defensive specialist. And, and the other kid, Grissom, I mean, there's a lot of talent there, but they want to give him a little longer to develop. But, but I mean, Dansby playing short every day of every – I mean, that's, that's, that's irreplaceable. Take a break. Back in a few. Three, six, six, one. Why am I giving the number? We're about out of time and somebody's on the phone. That's right. Let's go to the phone. Time for one more. It's Charles and Lamar. Good morning, Charles. Morning. Sorry, I was taking a swig of my Pepsi Zero Sugar. (laughs) There you go. Um, Good stuff. You know, these these Democrats want socialism. 63% think socialism is the way to go. And the next step past socialism is communism. And what do communists do? What did Stalin do? What did Pol Pot do? What did Mao do? Well, they censored their opponents. They stole elections. They prohibited protest. They arrested and jailed their opponents to rule with a heavy hand and make what we can now call executive decisions without any lawmakers involved. to uh, to rule the country, and I I mean with this action yesterday, these people have crossed the Rubicon. We are now at that point in this country, and it's scary as hell. Thank you, Charles. Well said. Very very well articulated. I'm not sad. I mean I'm struggling between angry and afraid. I'm afraid of where this leads us. I mean, once again, political dirty tricks are one thing, right? I mean, that shouldn't surprise anybody. Right. But but the um, the unprecedented abuse of power we saw yesterday should chill people to the— Why did I know Charles wasn't calling in to give his opinion on who the best Gamecock was of the Bobby <laughs> Richardson era, <laughs> or the June Reigns era, Not surprised. Or, or the Ray Tanner era? Yeah, when it went said Charles Lawson, well, he ain't calling in about the Gamecock baseball. <laughs> I can assure you of that. He's a tiger to the bone. But, but makes a very valid point, guys. I mean, you know, we're, 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 we're creeping off into a place that I don't think our founders would have imagined. Um, here's kind of an interesting thing to stew on over the weekend. You got a million dollars. Let's call a country a stock. Do you invest that million dollars in America or China? I mean, seriously, you, you, got, a, you got a 50-year horizon. Dude. You got a million dollars. Ouch. You want to return on that investment. Do you invest in America or do you invest in China? The only way I invest in America, if we come to our senses and limit government's control 
over we the people. Enjoy your weekend. We'll talk Monday.